It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bose Nerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. It's Saturday morning. Welcome to the Saturday morning radio extravaganza with James Golden, a.k.a. Bose Nerdly, here with you. If you'd like to be part of the program, 800 848 848-WABC. Of course, a very, very busy week this was. Leave the music. I don't want to hear music today. Diego's in the house. Diego's working on a new album. Um... We have, of course, to talk about the election. There has been a war on Twitter for the last day and a half, two days, since Donald Trump posted his assessment of Ron DeSantis on Truth Social. And since he also had some comments to make about Virginia's Governor Youngkin, I have been embroiled in a Twitter battle because I posted a New York uh, Post story, which many people found offensive. And they assumed it was an endorsement, not just a post. I post news stories. I've been doing it for over a decade. And most of the time, it's not an issue. But the particular New York Post story pretty much was anti-Trump, and all of a sudden, I started getting all this grief from people. I felt like Derek Hunter must have felt a few weeks ago. It's like, I didn't say that! So, I don't know. Trump, DeSantis, Diana Mee is going to join us later in the show. Diana had a very, very interesting take on all of it. I hope she repeats part of it today. Her take is that it's a look, this had to happen. And good that it happens now. Not good. I mean, she's not looking. I'll let Diana speak for herself. I don't want to speak for Diana because she has a very interesting take. In the meantime, there's good news, there's bad news. Mark Kelly won the Arizona Senate race one seat away. Now, I love this because the other day a Republican won and it was 49 to 48, and you didn't see these kind of headlines. Here is a headline from the New York Times. Mark Kelly wins Arizona Senate race, putting Democrats a seat away from control. You didn't see any headlines about, oh, the Republicans are a seat away from control. Panic is setting in. The House races are really close. I've gone through them with a fine-tooth comb. And it looks like in the House, Republicans should win, given the outstanding races. But we don't know. I mean, it's they should win. A lot of the seats that are in question are in California. And... Republicans are not entirely wiped out in California, but it's California. And my question is this. How how much longer, America, are we going to go along with this mail, vote-by-mail scheme that the Democrats cooked up? 
where you can vote for a month and then another month later. They're talking about in California some of the House races. And, of course, some of these are races that Republicans will need if they're going to maintain their majority. And what they're talking about, well, we should know sometime after Thanksgiving. We should know Thanksgiving. How much longer are we going to put up with this? How much longer are we going to put up with Maricopa County? How much longer are we going to put up with Nevada and these races, these endless, endless races that could have been decided already? This mail ballot scheme that the Democrats have cooked up delays elections. And what is the point of delaying the election count? Well, many of you suspect so that they can find the ballots that they need to win. Find, in quotes. How long are we going to put up with this ballot harvesting business? Singling people out to collect a bunch of ballots and then just, oh, turn them in. Like there's, oh, it's just okay. There's nothing about integrity and ballot harvesting that should be in the same sentence. It is a recipe for cheating. It is a recipe for fraud. And did I say that there is fraud? No. Did I say that there has been? I'm just clarifying before. Because no matter what, if you talk about the way that Democrats run elections, they call you a denier. But the Democrats have given themselves an advantage with these elections that they control the tempo. In some cases now, if you think about the length of time before and after the elections, we have now a two-month election process on what is supposed to be election day. You add to that the numerous things that Democrats have done over the years. Oh, yeah, you can register to vote when you get a license. Well, there are 17 states now, I believe, or close to that, that are giving illegal immigrants driver's licenses. Who's doing the checking to make sure that nobody from that community is receiving the right to vote. In some cases, Democrats say illegal immigrants can vote in local elections. Well, if they can vote in local elections, I mean, what do you do when you when you have an election like the midterms? Do you segregate the ballots to say, oh, they can only vote, but you, but no, don't don't check out this box because I don't know the answer to that question. How long are we going to put up with this nonsense with American elections? There's no way that we should be having elections that last for months in this country. Election day, one of the things that I would love to see is that with these mail-in ballots, ballots, you limit the time, maybe three weeks from the time they're mailed out till they have to come back in, and they have to come back in a week before the election so that they can get counted beforehand and announced on election day. And that's it. And then cut it off. Ballot harvesting should be totally wiped out. But we along with this stuff. Senator Mark Kelly of Arizona won a tough campaign for re-election on Friday. That's what the AP says. Defeating his trumped back 
Republican rival Blake Masters. Now, Blake Masters is, I don't want to use the word angry, because I don't know whether whether it is anger, but boy, he is not going quietly in the night. He is blasting Mitch McConnell. And he's blasting Mitch McConnell for, as he said, spending the money trying to defeat a Republican in Alaska. This would be the Republican opponent to Lisa Murkowski. And by the way, Murkowski is behind, I think, close to two percentage points in that race. Instead of putting the money in his race, where he's facing a Democrat. Now, McConnell has a, there's a super PAC run by McConnell, and it gets all kind of money. This is McConnell's decision on how to spend the money. But there is a failure in the Republican Party. My, my take is that the Republican Party needs to be completely restructured, folks. They need to be completely restructured. The money does not flow where money should flow. There are candidates that if you are not the favorite of Mitch McConnell, if you are not the favorite of certain people that hold on to the power at the NRCC, the NRSC, then your campaign doesn't get the money. It does. It's not run by the metrics. It's not run objectively for the best interest of the party. It's run for the best political interest of the particular leaders. That would include Kevin McCarthy. That would include Mitch McConnell and others. And so you have candidates like, and you read this. Mitch McConnell was complaining early on, well, we may not be able to get to keep the Senate with the candidates that we're running. What he was saying was, I don't like these damn Trump candidates. I'm not going to put anything behind them. I hope they lose. Well, okay. So then we get these headlines today, oh, Republicans panic. They might lose control of the Senate. Well, if we lose control of the Senate, it's Republicans' own fault. The Democrats put their money behind their candidates. There was a, when, when it looked like the Portland gal was in trouble, they rushed money over there. Democrats have been throwing money at their candidates. They rushed in when it looked like a few of their congressional candidates were going underwater. What did they do? They came in with millions and millions of dollars right away. They're like, no, we are not going to let these candidates go up in smoke. On the other hand, what Republicans do, they did this with the Tea Party. John Boehner hated the Tea Party. I am not privy to tell you some things that I heard. I will say this. He let it be known to certain people that he hated the Tea Party. Hated. Now, this is something strange, too, because had we embraced the Tea Party when they were new, when they were still up and coming, we would have had a winning coalition that would be very difficult to defeat. They didn't. They hated them because they were... They were too far to the right. They weren't the moderate kind of rhinos that these guys want. We keep hearing about the Republican Party needs to open up its tent. 
their attempts at outreach for the black community are pathetic. Communities, conservative blacks. By the way, we have more conservative blacks in this Congress that are coming in. There are two that I know in in the House. So we already have two. That means we picked up a 100% increase with black conservative. There are actually four black conservative men in the House of, will be in the House of Representatives this time out. There are Hispanic women that won seats. And the Hispanic men, I believe, I'm going to have to go back and look further. So despite the fact that this party does a lousy job at recruiting and then, and then supporting a diverse group of people, because the, the money gets spent where the leaders want it spent, and very often it's not where the candidates need it that could be in striking distance. This entire party needs a realignment. I'm sick of losing with these people or barely winning races that we should be walking away with. So now the stories are, uh uh-oh, Nevada's in trouble. Are Democrats on the verge of taking the Senate? Republican lead in Nevada cut to 826 votes. 94% of the votes counted. The battle of control for the Senate being fought in Nevada on Friday night. Republican challenges lead now to just 826 votes. More votes expected to arrive at counting centers. Now get this. Election day was Tuesday. We still have more votes coming in to counting centers. Four days later. Four days. Oh, let's send some more votes in to be counted. This is garbage. Under Nevada law, uh, votes postmarked on Election Day Tuesday can still be counted if they arrive four days later. What does it take to get a postmark? It's a rubber post. You can have a stamp freaking made and just sit there all day and stamp things and say it's postmarked. Who's going to look to see whether a postmark is accurate or not? This is all such garbage. And we continue to accept it. We continue to fall for it. It's garbage. It's infuriating. With 94% of the ballots counted in Nevada, Adam Laxalt, former co-chair of Donald Trump's Nevada campaign, had a 48.5% lead in the vote. His rival, incumbent, Catherine Cortez Mastro, had 48.4. One-tenth of a percent separates these people. There's an internal discussion right now on whether or not to ask for a statewide recount. Really? Eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 eight hundred eight four eight WABC. This is entirely sickening, and this is, could all be avoided. It takes political will. It takes gonads. It takes having some testes. And tell these people, no, we are not going along with this stupid scheme anymore. Period. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, coming back with you after this. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, is on the air. 77 WABC. 
Yo. I can feel it. Me too. Yes, you. I'll be sure it brings us back on WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. Night and day. You know, I'll be sure he's had. Um, he's been battling a health problem. I hope he's doing well. Republicans reckon with midterm election fallout. They may still win the House, but an underwhelming showing has the GOP wrestling with what went wrong. What went wrong? Was it bad candidates? A bad message or Donald J. Trump? Of course they're going to put that in there. The Republican Party starting or staring <laughs> at the worst midterm performance by a party out of power in two decades traded recriminations on Friday over whether the ultimate cause was poor candidates and overheated message or the electoral anchor that appeared to be dragging the GOP down, former President Trump. That's the New York Times, by the way, not me. I'm just saying. With election results still rolling in, a thin Republican majority in the House appears likely, but the party's hopes of capturing the Senate appears in doubt. After the Democrat incumbent Mark Kelly's victory over Blake Masters in Arizona. Would would help if you put some money behind Blake, wouldn't it? But no, 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 no. He's one of those candidates that Mitch and the boys didn't want in, so they just, you know, don't give him enough help. Kelly was considered to be the most vulnerable of all of the Democrat candidates running. And yet, here we go again, another loss, another failure. I'm going to tell you something. I am sick of, I have, I don't think anybody on this show has ever heard me say a bad word about Mitch McConnell because I have a lot of empathy for the job of Senate majority leader or minority leader. Trent Lott, whose tenure I despised, used to say that it is like trying to herd cats, keeping the Senate together, like herding cats. And anybody that deals with cats know that they don't run in a herd. Because of the rules of the Senate and because the Senate is run by unanimous consent, it is often a difficult reach to get a unanimous point of view from the Senate. Let's face facts, folks. The United States Senate, how many conservatives are really in there? Conservative conservatives. A lot fewer than we may think. But for decades now, the Senate is where 
a lot of good conservative ideas go to die. Yeah, every election these guys come out, they run like conservatives, and then they go back in their little club of the Senate, and most of that is tossed aside. And this business with the money, I'm telling you, Rush used to say all the time, money is the mother's milk of politics. And this business with the money, as long as non-conservative leaders control the money, Republicans will fail. And it's that simple. If you want to know why we don't win more elections, we don't put the money into it. Period. Now, I am, I see somebody (laughs) hit me on my direct message. Ditch Mitch. I've never said, you've never heard me say that. You've never heard me go along with this. Let's get rid of McConnell. McConnell is and has a reputation for being a brilliant tactician when it comes to the day-to-day management of the Senate. And everybody should remember that if it were not for Mitch McConnell, we would not have a conservative Supreme Court. Period. End of story. If it were not for Mitch McConnell and Donald J. Trump, we would not have a conservative Supreme Court. We would not have one of the most heinous, egregious laws in the history of mankind overturned, which was Roe v. Wade and his companion Dodd. We would not have those pieces of murderous, arbitrary legislation finally shut down by the Supreme Court as well as some of the other decisions that have been made. And so whatever you do with an assessment of Mitch McConnell, give him that. And remember all the heat he took when he stood up and say, nope, we're not going to put Merrick Garland on the court. It's not that the guy doesn't have gonads. He shows some gonads when there's time. But I'm telling you, this business about funding Republican candidates that they don't like The entire, in my mind, the entire Republican funding operation is corrupt. They waste donors' money. And by the way, Winsome Sears was on the program yesterday, and she cited, she said Donald Trump raised $100 million and only spent $15 mil on candidates. Now, I, that's the second time I've heard that. I defend Donald Trump all the time, and I'm going to keep defending Donald Trump. Donald Trump did more than any of these so-called conservatives in one term with political knives in his back from fellow Republicans and, of course, from Democrats than any conservative in our lifetime save Ronald Reagan. But the way that the Republican Party through its various filters, whether it be the RNC, whether it be the NRCC, the NRSC, or these leadership packs, the way that they arbitrarily deny funding to people that they don't like should show you that they're more interested in their own political power than in the party gaining dominance over Democrats. There's some races 
that if they had just put some serious money and effort in, that could have been one. I know of at least one congressional race with a high name, a big name that we could have taken out. But they didn't put the money in it. And also, this party needs a bottom up in terms of candidate vetting. Some of the candidates that they that they put up. Look, I mean, if this were a business, I would say that the Republicans should probably try to look at how sports teams, successful sport I don't even like sports that much anymore. But, I mean, look at the way that successful sports teams operate. They operate on the on the metrics. They do a complete analysis of who everybody's going against. There are some candidates who are running in the wrong races, in the wrong states. We have candidates that are very good at messaging, but they're in a position where they shouldn't be put in, where they can't win. And they should be recruited to go in other races. But that would take a really in-depth statistical analysis of the pros and cons of what they're doing and actually a serious commitment to winning that we don't have on our side. We're still running this party. This party's still being run like it's the beginning of the 20th century. And this is what we get time after time, year after year. And the very thing, the biggest things to keep us from winning, these stupid mail-in ballots, this stupid ballot harvesting, you don't hear any of them complaining about it and saying, no, we are going to fight this tooth and nail and change this. You keep doing the same thing over and over again. You keep losing. You keep never meeting your expectations. And then you wonder why people on the outside, the base, are sick to death of this stupid party. Eight hundred eight four. I'm going to take some calls. We have calls here. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Coming back right after this. Oh knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on seventy seven WABC. Al Jarreau brings us back. From the album Fly, this is the title song. The genius Al Jarreau. You know what, let's head to the telephones, and I got a text from Derek. After 8 o'clock, we'll connect with Derek. So, where shall we start? 
Let us start with Marianne in Cliffside Park. Marianne, welcome. It's the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? I I am annoyed. I'm annoyed beyond belief today. I just woke up annoyed that this party cannot get its blank together. It's very disheartening when you hear all the people bad-mouthing Donald Trump, and, and it just takes everything out of us. I can't understand that they're not loyal, but the Democrats, they are in lockstep. You never hear anyone say anything bad about whatever comes out of Joe Biden's mouth or the lies that he tells. It's just unbelievable. Well, you know, Democrats do actually gripe about each other, but they don't gripe about their leadership in public very much. Now, there's a um, AOC is coming under a little heat. This is another one, and, and by the way, same kind of heat. Raises a lot of money, but, you know, what does she do with the money um, in terms of helping her fellow Democrats? Where does she go on the campaign trail? So you do see some muted criticism of Democrats from other Democrats. But what you don't see are the party leaders actively working to hurt their own people, which is the case that Blake Masters pointed out. We have this rhino in Alaska. Murkowski, and they have dumped a lot of money to try to defend Murkowski against another Republican who's winning, by the way. Meanwhile, Blake Masters is in a tight race, one that could control the Senate. It doesn't matter what happens in Alaska. The the top two, it doesn't matter. I say that that's not accurate. It doesn't matter as much because no matter who wins between the two of these, there will still be a Republican. Now, one is more conservative, and that matters. But we could have, with a lot more effort, perhaps picked up that seat in Arizona. And how long are we going to, as a party, allow these election days to turn into election months? You don't hear Mitch McConnell. You don't hear Kevin McCarthy saying, this is the number one thing we're going to work on and we're going to fix. You don't hear any collective messaging at all from the Republican Party saying, this has got to stop. We've got to stop this ballot harvesting. No. And you don't see the money going into races that we could win. And this happens cycle after cycle after cycle. So, So Marianne, do you think we're going to win Congress? I think we're going to win the House. I've been looking every day I get up and I go through all the races. Now, what's keeping things up in in the Congress. And, by the way, we're going to win by thumbnail. We're not going to have this great majority in there. We're going to barely eke it out, which is a disgrace. We've got a bunch of races that are within. You know who's in trouble, by the way? Um, Boebert in Colorado. She is up by a few votes. I think it's a 400 vote over her Democrat opponent there as of this morning. But you have races in California and Arizona that will decide the fate of the House. And we do have enough Republicans. We're at 211 right now. We need seven more seats. Seven more seats. We need seven more seats in the House. Seven more. And we have the majority. And we have more than seven candidates that are likely to win, not by many. I think we'll end up with maybe a two or three margin if, if, if 
there were no quote-unquote surprises. Like last-minute ballots, mail ballots, all of a sudden are 90% for the Democrat, 98% for the Democrat candidate. But if things hold, it looks like, and, and these races are projected to be likely Republican wins. We have enough to eke out a victory in the House. The Senate may come down to the Herschel Walker-Ralph Warnock race in Georgia. And there's a likelihood. But again, that depends. That depends on whether we can hold Nevada. 856 votes. So things are looking, you know, there's there's a news story out today. I read part of the headline that Republicans are starting to point. They should be pointing fingers. And then in the meantime, you have this Trump-DeSantis battle going on. DeSantis is not engaging. And Diana, I can't wait to get Diana on. Please stick around and listen for that if you haven't already. And if you're on Twitter, I'm on Twitter, at Bo Snerdly. If you're on Twitter, before you start accusing me of jumping ship because I post news articles, you might want to actually listen. Because one of the first things that I wrote when I did tweet and not just post stories, when I did offer my opinion, was I am not going to join in this dump Trump movement. And I'm not. I'm not going to join in. But let me tell you up front, I love Ron DeSantis. I love that guy. I love Donald Trump. I love that guy. And this is distressing to me to see. It, I'm distressed by it. But as Diana said, this has had this has to happen. And Diana said yesterday, many of us have forgotten what it was like in 2016. During that primary season, how ugly that got at times. So yeah, the we we haven't even we're not even finished with election months and we're already at war with each other. Let's go to Manhattan and Jim. Jim, welcome. You're on WABC Talk Radio seventy seven, James Golden, aka Snurdy. How are you, Jim? Yeah, good morning. You know, first Chitterelli and Zeldin way behind, no chance. Both close the gap, good chance to win. But national Republican committees and organizations didn't send the troops in at the crucial time in the battle, didn't send big dollars to those two guys, usually outspent on TV ads and mailers, and lost because of that. Republicans need new leaders who are paying attention instead of patting their bureaucratic nests. You win New York and New Jersey, a political earthquake. You're right. Are you, you said it. You, what can you say? You absolutely nailed this in less than a minute, by the way. Ticked off about this. I think Zeldin could have won. Chitterelli could have won. And, and, you know, we need some law and order in this city. This place is turning into a real mess. We, we need somebody who knows what he's doing. Well, you know what? Here's what needs to happen in New York right now. Every single death. Every single murder, every single rape, every single heinous crime in New York ought to be documented and 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 kept, quote unquote, alive in media and pinned on Kathy Hochul and Eric Adams for the next few years. 
This is the New York that Democrats and liberals want, where criminals roam free. Oh, give me a home where the criminals roam. That's New York uh, you know, under the Democrats, Democrats. The Democrats just want to uh, satisfy their base so they can get in office and get their hands on the budget money and give it out to their friends. But I look at this year in New York, the Republicans did well here, picked up the Congress, picked up in the state legislature. I think this should be looked at in New York as a beginning, not an end. And I think we got good. If we keep it together and run things right, we can have more success in the future in New York State. Jim, you are brilliant, and I thank you, because this is a beginning, a new beginning in New York. Long Island is now solidly Republican. That's one pickup. Long Island, they finally had enough, and they tossed out Democrats left and right. Yeah, and they, okay. and they got yeah, and they got rid of that guy who runs the uh, National Senate Committee for the Democrats as well. I mean, New Yorkers, you know, New Yorkers are down to earth people. They want to live their lives. They're fed up with with, with what they're doing to this state. Many New Yorkers are. We 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 are, but the Democrat liberals are not. Democrat liberals, for some reason, they can watch people get murdered every day. They can read about it. They can read about people being thrown in the subway tracks and and raped and battered while out jogging, and it doesn't affect them at all. They don't care. Apparently, they don't care. Because they keep on voting for the same people that do the same nonsense. There has still not been an accounting at all with the billions of dollars wasted for so-called mental health reform under de Blasio. Though that money's out there somewhere doing something or did something, there's no accounting for it. There's no talk about an investigation anywhere. This is a James. <laughs> you may but, be. Uh, look, the Democrats are basically a bunch of uh, living in a bubble, academic liberals, you know, they, you know, and uh, and a lot of people who are just uh, hab- habit voters. They don't even want to think think too much. I'm saying. There's a practical world here. You get up in the morning, you go in the street, you live in your daily life. Get rid of your ideology and make your life better. That's what you got to do. And that's the messaging. That's the messaging that needs to happen. I do want to congratulate those New Yorkers who moved down to Florida and helped to to push Ron DeSantis to win. I mean, if you look at the places that DeSantis won in Florida, Palm Beach County, Miami-Dade, these are places Republicans haven't won in I don't know how long. And and Democrats even, there were Democrats that voted for DeSantis because of the great job that he's done in leadership down in Florida. I mean, what happened in Florida ought to be a model for the Republicans all around the country because it was astounding. And by the way, you didn't have to wait two days, two weeks to find out who won. Within five hours of the polls closing, the votes were counted, they were in, and we knew who won. And if it can happen in Florida with the populace down there, it can happen in any state in this union. Jim, you're brilliant. I appreciate your call. And I love your attitude. This is the beginning in New York. This is the beginning of a new chapter. And by the way, let us credit Lee Zeldin with the pickups that were made. And those pickups, by the way, and those were flip seats in New York. At least we have four, perhaps five flip seats. They will be the margin that will allow the Republicans to gain control of Congress. And without Lee Zeldin lifting the party 
I doubt that that would have happened. WABC Talk Radio 77, James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, coming back. More of your calls coming up right after this. Now, here's the soul of excellence, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, on 77 WABC. Walking in here looking all pretty and angry and mean and good. <laughs> I know you didn't get your head down so you could just sit down and just sit still. Hey, we trying to have a good time tonight. Let's go, baby. Bruno Mars brings us back. This is one of my favorite albums. That is so retro, James Brown. And then there's Chunky. James Golden. This is called Chunky. Bruno Mars brings us back here on WABC Talk Radio 77. It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. James Golden, Bo Snurdy with you here. Your phone calls are welcome. 800-848-9222 is the number to call, 800-848-WABC. Let us go to Pamela in central New Jersey. Pamela, welcome. You're on Boston Nervy Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Good morning. Um, while the Democrats have many playing the old shell game bashing Trump, our real focus should be on what General McInerney said last night on Cats at Night. For those of you who haven't heard it, please listen to it. It is bone-chilling and, I believe, totally honest. And coming from a place now, he feels comfortable since the House won. There are many generals out there who are not buying into this communist uh, line, and they're trying to save our country through retirement. They're mm-hmm. coming out, and it was great what he said last night. It was what really did he say that what, what did he say that struck you the most? That the communists, they, he said that they've already taken over, and we are deficient, militarily deficient, and, we, and we've been told lies. And we mm. are not up to par, and we're already involved in World War III. We are already involved in it, and he said that the uh, COVID was planned. And then mm. he sort of got cut off for a commercial, so... <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> this was on Catch It. This was on Catch It Night. You can always catch the podcast of Catch It Night and any other WABC show by going to our website, and you will find all the podcasts. So if you want to hear that full interview, Catch It Night, just check out our website, wabc.com. Get the WABC app. Keep it with you all day long. Pamela, thank you for sharing that. It's chilling, and I will say this. There have been warnings for years. Look, folks, we have allowed China to steal American technology and develop missile guidance systems that work now. That happened, the beginning of that happened during the Clinton administration. Bernie Swartz, Laurel, Clinton donors, all of a sudden, uh, China gets the guidance. Their missiles were blowing up in the air. Missile up in space to save their lives. And all of a sudden, we, a private American company, despite import, that a big Clinton donor helped them get their missile guidance straight. Under Obama, the Chinese developed a blue water navy, which they're still pouring billions of dollars into. And they have been threatening us in the South China Sea for years. They have been threatening Joe Biden. They've been threatening Taiwan. And look at the way that Putin walks off. You see this this basketball player gal, uh, 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 what's her name? Um, uh, Brittany, whatever her name is. Thank you. They just sent her to a penal colony. I mean, they sent her to hard time. You're going to go work, be a slave of the, of, the, of the, I wanted to say Soviet Union, because that's what they're trying to reimagine. So what Pamela said, you know, not so far off here, reporting what the general said. We are engaged in a worldwide effort to undermine America. We are engaged in whether, whether we know it or not. And the Chinese and the Russians have agreed to work together. Now, years ago, that would have caused alarm. Right now, it's just like, oh, ho-hum, so they're working together. And I'll tell you what else is going on, the currency battles that are occurring now. Scott's going to have a story a little bit later on today about what happened with this FTX business. But what we are looking at, folks, is a world in disarray. And to that degree, Pamela, yep, dead on, Pamela. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Let's go to Vinny, New Jersey. How are you, Vinny? Good morning, Bob. I'm doing great. How about yourself? Uh, I'm you just ticked off it. today. The world, is just, uh, the world is in disarray. And my personal opinion, I remember growing up, when I woke up the next morning, the votes were in, whoever, whoever declared president, whatever. Now, all of a sudden, you've got to wait a week. Now, you've got to have runoffs and stuff. And now everybody around me is saying the same thing. They think the voting system is manipulated. All these mail-in ballots, they're all hogwash. I understand. I'm one of these people that say these mail-in ballots are ridiculous. This is ridiculous. It, is a, it has always been a recipe for disaster. Election day, election day has no meaning anymore. If you look at the time that these mailing ballots go out to the time that they're actually counted, we're being told in California in certain districts, the districts that, that Republicans really need in order to get control of the House are some of them, that it will take until after Thanksgiving before we know who won. That's absurd. And yet we stand for it. And old Mitch and the boys are not doing a damn thing about it. These are federal races. 
Where's Kevin McCarthy? He's from California. Where's McConnell on this? Vinny, I couldn't agree with you more. William. A lot of people that work in Manhattan pretty much all said the same thing prior to the election. They hope Zeldin gets in, all the crime, everything in New York. It's, it's horrible. I can't understand how the majority of the vote still vote for Hochul after all that's happened and what's going to happen in New York in two years from now. Well, I think we need to go back to our earlier call who said this is just the beginning. And right now we have an opportunity. And look, folks, this you may not have to. The National Party might be useless. This might have to be a grassroots effort to document every single crime that happens because of Democrats' bail, because of the, the, their idea of cashless bail and letting the criminals roam the streets. This needs to be a constant political campaign starting now against Hochul, against Adams, starting now. And if these parties won't do it, then it may take a grassroots effort to pull this together. William in Westchester, welcome. You're on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. How are you, William? Uh, totally disgusted, James, in several dimensions. Uh, I come from things from perspective somebody who's been around, I calculate, almost one-third of the time between the Constitutional Convention and today. And I totally agree with your assessment of the Republican Party. Uh, uh, Totally disgusted with the likes of Boehner and uh, McConnell. I suspect that another majority, uh, another Republican leader could have pulled off what McConnell did with the nominations. But I totally refer to the to the Republican Party by a rather vulgar expression, the FERP, effing useless Republican Party. And one other thing I'm totally disgusted about, I'm part of a veterans group that went down to uh, D.C. Uh, last weekend. And after a bus tour that took us through the acres upon acres upon acres of gravestones, I'm uh, totally even more anger had I not been before with the likes of JFK, LBJ, Bush, and Cheney for the murders that they basically are responsible for. Wow. Wow. Said a mouthful there, my friend. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. We are headed in to our second hour, our number uno, dumbo, our number duo coming up, James Golden, a.k.a. Snurvy. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. You want to be part of today's program, 800-848-WABC. We've got Kevin Perez coming up in our next hour. Crooked competitors. We've got Princess Di coming up later in the show. We've got Derek Hunter is going to make an appearance. I can't wait. Derek, you started this. All of that and more. That's a Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Don't go away. Coming back in mere moments. Nerdly on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the founding fathers. Not too long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee, a businessman who had escaped from Castro. 
And in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. This is the issue of this election. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. You and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. Well, I'd like to suggest there is no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down. Man's own old age dream, the ultimate in individual freedom consistent with law and order, or down to the ant heap of totalitarianism. And regardless of their sincerity, their humanitarian motives, those who would trade our freedom for security have embarked on this downward course. A time for choosing, that is Ronald Reagan, or was. Iconic speech, and every word applies today. Every single word still applies. Derek is up. Hey, Derek Hunter, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. I went to a midnight showing of uh, Wakanda Forever last night, so I was asleep at 7 when you were calling, but your incessant vibrating of my phone did wake me up. I'm glad. How was Wakanda? Did you like it? I liked it better than I expected to. It's good. It was better than I thought it was because I'd read some negative reviews. I'm not one of those people you can spoil something for. If you tell me something's horrible and it's not worth seeing, if I wanted to see it, I'm still going to go see it. So it was it was much better than I thought. I was curious how they were going to handle the death of Chadwick Boseman, and they handled it well. Kind of hoping they'd have some outtakes or archival footage. They did use a little bit of archival footage, but I was hoping that they'd have some outtakes from some other movies and find a way to CGI him a little bit for a like a farewell, but they didn't do that. But it, it was it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. Oh, glad to hear that, Derek. Now, Derek, you wisely avoided giving a prediction uh, prior to the election. Now that the elections are still on, by the way, this is a two-month election by the time it all is said and done. We're hearing from California it'll take till maybe after Thanksgiving before we get around to telling you who won some of these races. Um, what's your take? What a disaster. What a disaster. You're going to hear people, this is one of the things that politicians, and I'm writing about it now for tomorrow for Town Hall, one of the things that the political class does is they try to find a way to, forgive the crudeness, polish a turd. You can't polish a turd. This was a disaster. You're going to hear people, and you're already hearing people talking about, well, the Republicans won the national popular vote. And technically, if you count that ridiculous thing, they did. They won almost 52 million votes versus almost 47 million votes for Democrats. That and five bucks will get you a cup of coffee. It doesn't matter. You need the votes where you need the votes, and the Republicans failed to get them at uh, every step of the way. Why? 
Why? I don't know yet. I think part of the reason, if you really want to get technical, and I know you are a very pro-life man, James. I've known you for a very long time. You're very passionate on the subject. But I don't think Lindsey Graham did Republicans any favors with his 15-week abortion ban. It was something, if you remember back when the Dobbs decision had leaked, uh, the left went absolutely crazy and there was no group of people with more energy to go out and vote. Then the decision was actually released in June and the left took to the streets and they were going to vote and they were they were mobilized. And then by July, people were going to fewer protests because it costs so much to fill up your car and it cost a whole lot of money to feed your family. And the anger subsided and shifted toward inflation, toward the economy, towards the president, towards the Democrats. Lindsey Graham's bill then nationalized it again, ripped the scab off and reminded people who were angry at something else that they were also angry at this. Democrats then strategically put pro-abortion measures on ballots across the country, much the way that Republicans did with gay marriage measures in 2004. And it worked. You had a threat. You had decades and decades, my whole lifetime, of conservatives saying, Roe v. Wade, whatever you think of the morality of abortion, it's a horribly decided decision. And it has no business being the federal government. If you repeal Roe v. Wade, it will go back to the states. And that's exactly what happened. And then Lindsey Graham said, but I'm going to make it federal. That forced every Republican to have to answer for it. That gave every Democrat a target to shoot for. And it was wildly stupid. If Lindsey Graham wanted to do that and violate the principles of conservatism as far as federalism goes, he could have introduced a piece of legislation today rather than before the election. He did it when it suited him rather than when it suited the party, or he's just strategically incredibly stupid and thought it would help. Derek, I think that's a brilliant piece of analysis. Let me... I think that this entire Republican Party needs to be we work from the ground up. Mm. I think that we I, I said in the last hour that I think the Republican Party needs to actually study the way that successful sports teams operate. And start using metrics a lot better. I mean, you have some candidates here who deserved to have a push. They were in elections that they could have won. They were denied funding. The funding, in some cases, we were told we're pulling out of certain races. We're pulling out of the airtime that we that we uh, had scheduled because we don't mm-hmm. want to fund these guys. These are races, in some cases, that could have been won. I believe that could have been won. We don't know for sure. Um, if you look at the arbitrary nature of how money gets thrown around, donor money in the Republican Party, well, if Mitch and his Superboys like you, then we'll give you some money. If Mitch and the Superboys don't like you, then screw you. And the same thing goes for the NRCC, the NRSC. All of these groups collectively raise millions and millions of dollars. They distribute it to the buds. They dis- distribute it to the, the to the. I'm sorry. It's like the old boys club. If you are, if you're a member in good standing in the old boys club, then you'll get some money. If you happen to be an upstart. If you happen to be, for instance, 
uh, one of the people that they think is a Trump guy and they don't like the Trump guy, then screw you and screw the It's not what's good for the party. It's good for what Mitch and the boys want. Now, am I wrong about this or not? Well, you're not wrong about it, but you're only looking at part of the problem. Everywhere, everybody chooses their where their money goes. Every group, every super PAC, every every uh, interest group, every uh, faction within the party. Yes, Mitch McConnell raised somewhere between two hundred and four hundred. I've seen numbers between two hundred and four hundred million dollars, and he spent it all. And if you look at the results, it's not working out all that great. Uh, Rick Scott spent somewhere in the neighborhood of $200 million. It sounds like an enormous sum, and either one of us would be more than happy to have it. But it is a finite amount of money. Where do you put it and when do you put it? Monday morning quarterbacking is great. Uh, the, the former President Trump raised $100 million and, and spent, according to reports, $15 million of it. Was that effective? I don't know. I, you, until the dust settles and you see where the money went and where the money was effective, because where the money went is irrelevant. You can throw good money after bad. At I, I'm not sure any amount of money would have helped with the governor's race in in, in Pennsylvania. For How about example. New York? New York, it may have made a difference. But, again, you're dealing with a deep blue state. What It's impossible to know. You know that it's and impossible. To I do know that. But in a deep blue state, Lee Zeldin had enough energy that we may have the, 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 the Congress decided by the number of New York seats that were flipped. Now, who thought that was possible going in? That wasn't even forecast as a possibility. No. But it was. It. Yeah. But I, I also <laughs> would have thought that, you know, throughout, I thought Tudor Dixon stood a chance. It was close ish it's close in a way that a football game where a team loses 52 to uh, 40 is close but it's not really close in the grand scheme of things and ultimately like my father used to say whether you lose by one or one million it doesn't matter it's a loss whether you win by one or one million it doesn't matter it's a win and frankly we're sitting here a week after the election james and we don't know who's going to control the house it looks like it's probably going to be republicans but I'm not confident in that anymore. I was confident in that for the last few days, but the way things are going with the Senate races, with the governor's races, nothing would surprise me. We need I heard uh -huh. you talking about we need to reform elections. It needs to happen on the state level. You can sit there and say Mitch McConnell needs to do something, Kevin McCarthy needs to do something. They can say something. They can use their the extent they have a bully pulpit, but we can't sit there and say we can't pass this Democrat voting bill. It's uh, elections are a state issue when the Democrats want to push something. And then suddenly for us, they go, we need to get rid of all these things on a national level. No, on a state level, they need to get rid of ballot harvesting. Or Repu But until then, James, Republicans need to get damn good at ballot harvesting. Republicans need to push to get rid of vote-by-mail exclusivity and ease. But until then, they need to get damn good at it. Well, here's the only thing that I will disagree with you about, Derek, on that. I mean, what you're saying makes sense. But here's the way I look at it. In 1964, we had what? The Voting Rights Act. Mm -hmm. Now, the Voting Rights Act was put up to make sure that black people could have the quote-unquote right to vote. And, they, and in that Voting Rights Act, they specifically targeted 
states that were then run by Democrats that were racist as can be in terms of their policies. And he said federal legislation is needed to ensure that every vote counts. If the Democrats can do this, (laughs) we can do it, too. We can just come up and say, here, Voting Rights Act, people are being disenfranchised by this two-month election cycle that is riddled with doubt and no confidence in the election. And by the way, here are some states like Arizona where year after year we have to put up with this garbage and we're not going to do it anymore. And there are going to be federal monitors on Maricopa County. There are going to be federal monitors on Filthy Delphia. Excuse me, those of you who live in Philadelphia. There are going to be federal monitors. I mean, look. One of the things I loved about DeSantis, by the way, uh, Biden tried to send down his DOJ to go into certain and, and uh, certain um, election centers in Florida. And DeSantis people said, no, you're not. You don't. Yeah. The law says you can't come in here. And no, you're not coming in here. But we can nationalize some of these issues because they do disenfranchise. Look, if they and, and the concept is if if you have questionable elections being held in Maricopa County. Every voter in the United States is theoretically disenfranchised by potential fraud because it invalidates their vote to a certain degree. I mean, look, it may not pass muster, but we could at least try. James, you sound like a Democrat a week ago. And you sound like a Democrat for the for the for the past year when they wanted to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and all the other crap that they wanted to run. We need to remind people, first of all, that the Voting Rights Act was passed to protect people from Democrats, to protect black people from Democrats. Absolutely. Never forget that. We also need to point out that um, we we can't I mean, we could do those things. But if ultimately we'd lose, you'd really have a chance to make a difference if you do it on the state level. We don't have the votes right I now. I agree so with we you. We not even have the House. So then you go we to made, the Republican we, states and you push it. You need to get we, rid of ranked choice voting. Get rid of that crap in Maine. Get rid of that era, or in Alaska. We can get rid of it in Alaska because we have the votes. Get rid of it there. And then campaign against it everywhere. It started off in Maine. It's a stupid idea. It's an anti-democratic idea. And you need to uh, just repeal it. And you need to make sure as other states consider it as somehow somehow more democratic, that you kill that before it. you want to kill the first cancer cell. You don't want to have to have a giant tumor removed, although you want that too. But you want to kill the first cancer cell. And you, Republicans are not very good at seeing the end of the path. The end of the path, it seems to be over the cliff most of the time. And we sit around and twiddle our thumbs and decide to uh, play a different game. I don't know. Voting by mail is here right now. It shouldn't be, but it is. And unless and until you can get rid of it, you have to deal with that situation. There are Just imagine a tax deduction that you think is absolute garbage. And I'm sure, I mean, the tax code is so ridiculous that I'm sure there are plenty of things that everybody listening is ab- thinks absolute garbage. But if suddenly you find yourself in a pitch position where you can avail yourself of that tax deduction, 
you'd be a damn fool not to take it. You can advocate for the repeal of something while availing yourself of the use of it. It's not hypocritical. It's the law of the land, and as long as it's the law of the land, use it. You can fight to change it at the same time. So I think you need a two-track thing. Change the laws, but that's going to be a long slog because they weren't changed overnight. Until then, use them and get better at it. I agree with you. I agree with you. I want to just say one more thing, and we got to go to a break, and I want you to hold on because i got a few more. I want to ask you when we come back from the break about the new war between Trump and everybody. Um, <laughs> no, you can't wait for that, Trump hater. Um, <laughs> I really do enjoy being slandered first thing in the morning. <laughs> uh, Derek, I want to ask you about this. Look, we live in the most technologically advanced nation on Earth. Do you have clear? Do you use clear when you go to to the airport and whatever? I use clear. I I had that and the uh, TSA pre-check or whatever, both of them. Yeah, me too. Okay. So you go through, you put your little fingers on the thing, or you look into the scanner and and it sees your eyes and it says, oh, it's James. Okay, go to the front of the line. All right. What the hell? We can't employ biometrics. We can't fingerprint and have... Firm voter ID. Voter ID you, is you, one You can thing. use your phone to scan yeah. in QR codes. You can take your – people send their driver's licenses, their whatever, to whoever needs it right now electronically. You mean to tell me that we cannot use the technology at hand that we already have on our mobile devices to actually secure the vote and to secure ballots? Uh, there are a whole bunch of people recoiling in horror at the idea of the federal government or even the state government having access to your biometric information in order Get for you to Get over it. They have access to it already. You can vote. You can use your driver's license. That's a pretty good way to do it. Do it by proxy. Do not have some 80-year-old retiree who's working one day for elections having access to it. Your grandkid decides that he wants to come by and see grandma at work shoves a thumb drive in there and downloads everybody's biometric data. There are ways to do it. We don't need to go down the tech. Sometimes the old ways work better. Hey, do you have a government-issued photo ID? You do? All right, you've just pretty well proven who you are. We can go down that road. There are people who won't do Ancestry.com or the swab of their, their mouth because they don't want a company to have access to their DNA. You really wanted a press turnout, and frankly, the turnout that I suspect conservatives need go that route. But a photo ID is not a bridge too far. It's the left that tells you that black people are incapable of getting it. I do love the idea that black people are incapable of getting a photo ID, or there's this large swath of people anywhere of any color who don't have one. Democrats will burn all sorts of calories preventing photo ID from being used in driving if they spent 10% of those calories finding the 12 people in the country who somehow can't get a photo ID and get them a photo ID, they will have immeasurably improved the lives of every single person they get a photo ID of. But they don't care about that. They're not interested in those people being able to, I don't know, get employment, bank, travel, or anything like that, or even buy a beer. It's ridiculous. But no, you I don't think that biometrics are the way to go. There's a lot of things short of that that we can do first. And we need to be using blockchain, too. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly. <laughs> he laughs. Go, go with crypto. 
<laughs> yeah, I know what we could do. We could put FTX in charge of that one. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, what could go wrong? James Golden, A.K. Snurley. Derek Hunter is going to stay with us so he can talk about Donald Trump. Trump hater. When we get back, don't go. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. Gloria Estefan. Brings us back here on 77 WABC. Live for loving you. Nice musical break there from the Miami sound of Gloria Estefan. Derek Hunter is on the phone with us. All right, Derek, you started this business a few weeks ago. Oh, hold, on, Trump- hold on, hold on, hold on, hold, hold on. I, I, I love the way you just play the, the intro music for freaking ever, but that reminds I'm not a super big fan of Gloria Estefan and the Miami sound machine, but I was just sitting there thinking, do you remember the movie Running Scared, probably 1985? I remember the title. I don't think I saw it. Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal. Tells you just how there's a lot of career. They go down into the the Keys and have a vacation montage there. But um, that music fits right perfectly in there. And it just tells you how different a world we live in now where there was a movie made where Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal played tough, on-the-edge cops (laughs) wow you try to make that movie now and it would never happen (laughs) (laughs) i love it oh derek okay you started it and now trump and desantis are fighting and so what's your take on the big trump well desantis isn't fighting he's not engaging i was gonna say you're you're wrong about that it is trump who is fighting i want to read for you the first paragraph Actually, just the first sentence, which is an entire freaking paragraph of Trump's statement the other day. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Quote, <clears throat> News Corp, which is Fox, 
the Wall Street Journal, and the no longer great New York Post, parenthesis, bring back call, C-O-L, exclamation point, parenthesis, is all in for Governor Ron DeSanctimonious, an average Republican governor with great public relations who didn't have to close up his state but did, unlike other Republican governors whose overall numbers for a Republican were just average, middle of the pack, including COVID, and who has the advantage of sunshine where people from badly run states up north would go no matter who the governor was, just like I did, exclamation point. Uh, I have sneezed more coherent sentences than that. It was an unprovoked attack. It was absolutely unnecessary and bizarre, too, in the time when this was being sent out by the former president. Ron DeSantis was dealing with a a hurricane that was devastating the the east coast of the state, causing massive erosion and building damage and everything, just on the heels of Hurricane Ian. It seems as though anybody with an inner monologue would have said, now's probably not the time. Anybody with, a I don't know, an advisor they actually listened to would say, this can wait. It's not necessary. It's not about to expire. But he couldn't help himself. And then he goes after Glenn Youngkin. Now, there's very few people who are less threatening politically than Glenn Youngkin. They just are. His statement is even more bizarre about Youngkin because it seemed out of the blue. Youngkin, two separate words for some weird reason. Now, that's an interesting take, he writes. Sounds Chinese, doesn't it? I suppose... Technically, it does if you think of it in those terms, but apropos of nothing, you know, moving a coffee cup across a a table can sound like a fart. It doesn't mean it's a fart, but okay. In Virginia, uh, couldn't have won without me. I endorsed him, did a very big rally for him telephonically, which means he made a phone call. got MAGA to vote for him, or he couldn't have come close to winning. But he knows that and admits it, besides having a hard time with Dems in Virginia. But he'll get it done. Now, I don't know what in the hell the point of that statement is at the end, but he'll get it. Get what done? What are you talking about? Like walking up to an old lady on the street and punching her upside the head. Now, I understand that in New York that happens all the time, uh, but in politics, you don't generally fire down your own trench. Donald Trump seems to be firing down his own trench, but it's the biggest problem, I think, for Trump isn't the unprovoked, unnecessary, and ill-timed attacks against his fellow Republicans. I don't even think Youngkin is thinking of running. It's that uh, it, it, the shtick has worn thin, I think. You're laughing at it, but it, it's not the same kind of laugh as it was in 2016. The little Marco and sleepy this one and, and corrupt Hillary and All those things, the sting is gone. For a while, you know this, this is right in your wheelhouse. For a while in the 70s, my God, there was nothing cooler than Arthur Fonzarelli. People walked around and said, A, A, A. And then he jumped the shark eventually, and the thumbs up and the hitting of the jukebox didn't really do it anymore. They, They tried to change it so desperately, they burned down Arnold's and rebuilt it. In the 70s and 80s, there were all these catch for every sitcom had a catchphrase or tried to. And if those catchphrases caught on, the show could be a hit for a while. 
But different strokes as popular as it was when it first started, and he's going, what you're talking about, Willis, died out by season five. And you got Gary Coleman going through puberty going, what you talking about, Willis? It lost its charm, and the show didn't adapt. Donald Trump hasn't adapted. It's not to say that he can't, but it is to say that I think he needs to, at least somewhat, because this shtick, aside from the poor timing, is wearing thin and landing flat with a lot of people, James. <clears throat> Trump hater. Um, <laughs> I figured I'd give you some red meat. You woke me up. I figured I'd get your blood pumping. Yeah, I'm going to go with Wakanda, you know, just whatever. Derek, I'm not going to even comment on it. I just wanted to hear people with, with you. Derek, you're brilliant. Um, and, and, folks, I do put Derek – I asked Derek to come on the show because I really enjoy speaking with him. He has a brilliant mind. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Derek Hunter was the very last new guest host that we used with the Rush Limbaugh program, sat in for Rush, when Rush was um, was was ill. And we will always thank him for that. And and Derek and I have known each other a very long time. This man has one of the most brilliant political minds of anybody. And one day, Derek, I want I want you to tell people about yourself one day because your history. How many jobs have you had? Seriously, <laughs> not kidding. How how many jobs have you had during your life? It's somewhere in the neighborhood of seventy-seven. And he's a young man. And it wasn't because he was fired. It was because Derek has... A lot of it was because I was fired. There's plenty of... You don't get 77 jobs without being fired from a lot of them. But, for example, I was a wait. I was a a, a maid. I worked for Mary Maids for one hour. I watched the training video and, and walked out and said, this isn't for me. They mailed me a check. You you name it. I've I've done it. Roofing, concrete work, waiting tables, to think tank, to being a policy analyst. You, you can't... I, I've done it all except for anything that stuck or paid well. <laughs> Derek Hunter, thanks so much. We appreciate Thank you. We're going to call you next Saturday, Derek Hunter, and people can find your books on Amazon. He's an amazing author. You can read his column at Town Hall. He does a radio show, but we never give the call letters and um, like that. But he does. Thanks. He's in the Baltimore area. The ghetto. Yes. Um <laughs> <laughs> Derek, thank you, James. Thank you. I was always nice insulted by you first thing in the morning. <laughs> we appreciate you, Derek. We'll catch you All later. Right. James Golden AK Sterling coming back right after this. Oh knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. This is Valerie Simpson from her second album. Valerie Simpson and I are scheduled to have a conversation on Monday. And hopefully it'll, um, you know, happen. If it does, we'll have some excerpts from it next week on the Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. We're doing a podcast. Valerie Simpson, of course, part of Ashford and Simpson, one of the famous songwriting groups of all time. Ain't no mountain high enough. Your precious love. 
Ain't nothing like the real thing. She and Nick. Of course, had a brilliant career themselves. Is it still good to you? I'm Every Woman, Shaka Khan, another one of their hits. Right now, Kevin Perez joins us, our very own Kevin Perez. With his, this is his second installment, the new feature on our, our program here on the Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. And here's Kevin. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, presents Crooked Competitors. From teammate to inmate. Uh, how'd you like being in jail? Athletes breaking the law. I was, lo- I was locked up. They are in it for the ride now as the Washington Commanders are now the centerpiece of a lawsuit filed by Washington, D.C. Attorney General Carl Racine. The suit also involves Commanders owner Dan Snyder, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, and the NFL as a whole for violating consumers' rights. Attorney General Racine alleges that the accused colluded to deceive fans and residents across D.C. about the league's investigation into the team's workplace culture and their allegations of sexual assault in order to maintain their reputation in the community. Here's the Attorney General speaking on what the lawsuit means for Washington, D.C. All of that deception was done to protect their profits and their image. With this lawsuit, we're standing up for D.C. residents who were repeatedly lied to and deceived. Racine will seek testimony under oath along with subpoenas to be issued. Racine is leaving office in January but said that he believes that his successor Brian Schwab will continue the investigation. We may have also seen some new developments in the investigation concerning Michigan and Michigan State's football teams. After their game on October 29th, multiple Michigan State Spartans were spotted punching and beating up on multiple Wolverine players in the tunnels. The Michigan players needed to get to their locker room but when they ran into Michigan State's team, video surfaced with the disgusting acts from the Spartans players. Melissa Overton, the University of Michigan's chief of police, said that she hopes that the investigation will conclude, quote, by the end of the week, unquote, according to the Detroit News. Two separate incidents broke out, and Michigan State head coach Mel Tucker suspended a total of eight players that missed last week's game against Illinois. Both programs and the Big Ten Conference are continuing this ongoing investigation. Keep your eyes on this one. For more on this, you can go to WABCSportsRadio.com and follow us on all social media platforms. I won't hold down forever, Bo, so we'll send them back to the extravaganza with their Saturday morning Crooked Competitors Report. I'm Kevin Perez, 77 WABC Sports. Welcome to the golden age of radio. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, is on 77 WABC. That's right. If you got to do sports, at least let's do the crooked sports. James Golden, a.k.a. Snerdly, with you here. Your telephone calls coming up. I'm trying to figure out what is this. Call it out. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm saying to myself, this is. I know this song, but this is a different mix. No, this oh. is the original mix. Out of time, out of touch. Out of touch, yeah. Okay, I'm losing my mind. Call it out. Hey, Derek, we're going to let this play a long time, too. Trump hater. Uh, Princess Di will join us in the next hour. 
You know, we have the Winsome Sears interview. We may hold on to that and play that next hour, too. Meanwhile, let's get back to the telephones. Tony in Daytona Beach, Florida. Thank you for calling. Thank you for waiting. Hi, James. Hello. Hey, Tony. Yes, James. Yep, I'm here. Turn off the radio in the back. Sounds like a bunch of aliens. Hello. Yep, here we are. Now, what's on your mind, Tony? Yeah, you you alluded to something this morning that Rush taught us years ago, and that was you had mentioned about all of this mail-in balloting and uh, ballot harvesting, and four days later you get a a shipload of ballots. Well, Rush always said, hey, look, you know, if the Democrats could only eliminate these pesky elections, they would maintain power forever. And I didn't really have my hopes up on this most recent election because we didn't do everything or enough to correct what happened in 2020. So I'm going back to the... Oh, the other thing the general said on uh, Cats at Night Roundtable last night was that he believes that Oz won and that uh, it was all done through the internet all done through cyber connections and this and that whatever that changed the algorithms and uh so that goes back to Mm. your earlier caller you know that was saying about Mm. the other things that he said but my main point was is that rush taught us if these uh democrats could just get around these elections they could remain in power forever COVID gave them that opportunity to make this a total disaster. And you know what? That's exactly right. And one of the things, I mean, Rush used to warn the Democrats, their whole, they really, what they really wanted was to eliminate elections. That if they could find a way, now, of course, what that meant was eliminate the chance of them losing an election. Ballot harvesting, mail-in ballots. My friends, it has to go. They have to go. Alex in Westchester County. Thanks, Tony, for the call. Alex, how are you? Good. Um, well, the Republican Party in these uh, early voting states has to embrace early voting. Look what happened in Pennsylvania. Dr. Oz, before the polls even opened, was down by 700,000 votes. The Democrats are sitting there calling their, their voters out. Just for example, there's about 3.5 million uh, registered Republicans in Pennsylvania. Dr. Oz got uh, 2.4. You imagine... So that means there were Republicans that didn't want to come out. They were disgruntled and stayed out of the election. You imagine if Dr. Oz was calling those people five, six weeks before uh, election and telling those people to come out and vote early, it would have been a different uh, scenario. That's what the Democrats are doing. You have Democrats that don't want to come out and vote by five, six weeks before the election. They're calling them, knocking on their doors and telling them to come out and vote early. The Republican Party needs to adopt that. You can't have a Dr. Oz where you're down 700,000 votes before the polls open. They need to get their votes out early. Thank you. Alex, brilliantly stated, thank you so much. Andrew in New Jersey. Hey, Hello, those Andrew. Last two, callers, last two callers right on the money. And I just want to say I was working up there in Wilkes-Barre for the Fox 56 affiliate up until May, and that was before Fetterman had the stroke. And I didn't meet one person that supported him <laughs> and the the newspaper at new times leader which they say is a very left-leaning their exit polls 
they said they didn't find a single Fetterman voter. Everybody they interviewed voted for Oz. And also that was a heavy Trump-Oz area where the paper ran out. So that says former voter suppression. So it's it's not surprising. It's shocking that Fetterman won. I, it's it's unbelievable. And it seems like Philly and Pittsburgh, there's corruption. But I want to say um, you had Winston interview, and I think the world of her, but I disagree because I don't think you go with their lies. Like speaking of 2020, Pennsylvania was illegal that the, you know, you know, they can't, the judges can't say what the laws are, the legislature. And if you lie, they lie about you, you don't go along with the lie. Just like Kavanaugh, when people would say, oh, well, why doesn't Trump select someone that doesn't have any questions? Well, whoever it is, they're going to go after it unless it was a pro-choice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, then they would let it go through. So I don't think you cow down to them. I think you fight back like Trump does. And lastly, my more upbeat part is that um, with the 100-year anniversary, hearing Harry Harrison and all those old clips, and then hearing you and um, Dominic, I just think, oh, thank God, WABC has black people on the air now. Because <laughs> I thought it was horrendous. Like, you have the beautiful, deep, melodic voice and the good, normal personality. And you hear, like, this crazy guy trying to be funny. Hey, sorry. <laughs> so I just hear you and go, oh, thank God, we don't have to listen to that crazy guy. I loved Harry Harrison when I was coming up. I loved all of the WABC guys. Harry Harrison. Man, I mean, you know, those are the people I grew up with. Of course, I grew up listening to um, to everybody. I mean, uh, WWR, I shouldn't mention call letters, but there were other stations that I listened to. You know, back in the day, I mean, we had every Jerry Bledsoe, of course, uh, my cousin, who was on the air, and, uh, Frankie Crocker, Al G, uh, Jeffrey Troy, Bobby J, Gary Bird. There's only one Gary Bird. He's just amazing. One of these days, I hope Gary comes on the show with me. It'll be awesome. Um, and Bobby too. And then, of course, you know, Ron Lundy, Dan Ingram, Bruce, cousin Brucey, Soupy Sales. I mean, it was a golden era for radio. And Eddie OJ was in the market. I mean, there was so many. We spent our days listening to, and WABC was the champ, you know, back then, 50,000 watt, clear channel radio, WABC. So thank you for those memories, Andrew. I appreciate the call very much. He was talking about the interview with Winsome Sears. We may try to uh, play that later. Winsome uh, is not happy with Donald Trump. Likes him, cited his, she thinks it's time to move on. Princess Di is going to come up. We'll ask her about all that stuff, too. Let's go to a quick break. Coming back, more of your calls coming up. Don't go away. Now, here's the soul of excellence, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. The Isleys. This is one of my favorite songs of all freaking time. Thank you. 
Wow. I love it. It's just so, so Motown. With the Isley Brothers on WABC Talk Radio 77 as we head back to the telephones on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Let us talk with Lisa calling from Florida. Hello, Lisa. Good morning, Mr. Golden. I wanted to express that I agree with many of the phone calls this morning. However, with regard to our election, Republicans are weak with strategic messaging, especially relative to the three things we missed the vote on, abortion, the economy, and crime. And I, I really feel that Democrats have done to politics what the New York Times did with World. They own the messaging and everyone falls in line. And uh, I'll express, if you don't mind, those three points. So first, Donald Trump demonstrated this early on when he said, build the wall. And for a while, we dominated that messaging and won. And uh, we knew that the Democrats would latch on to abortion. And where we failed, even with Lindsey Graham and the 15-week uh, situation, according to Planned Parenthood, nine out of 10 abortions take place in the first trimester. So we could have shown what a baby looks like in the 15 weeks in the womb and had a national campaign to really get the facts out. The second thing is the economy. Why didn't we do a national campaign of how much it would cost to heat your home in the Northeast and how much Thanksgiving dinner would cost and crime again? And I'm going to quote one of our good friends and get that message out, how Democrats were on the hood. They could have bought some media time and got those, those three messages out rather than sit back and let the Democrats own the messaging. And that's my point. Well, you ought to become a strategic thinker and planner for the Republicans because apparently they don't know how to do it. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate the call very, very much. I like that. Yeah. Gail, Staten Island, how are you? Welcome. Good morning. Listen, in the understandable lyrics of yesteryear by Johnny Mercer, here's to the grand old party. So you met the party that set us back on our votes. Goody, goody. We gave them our hearts and money, too, just as they don't always do. You broke us in little pieces. Now what do we do? And in a quote from the humanity, Hindenburg, oh, the humanity. Oh, the humanity. This is crazy. And that woman that just called and your Mm -hmm. callers, they're just great. They're just Thank regular you. people, and they are great. And you are great too. And I love the I love the historical references, Gail. You are amazing, so creative, so appreciated. In Woodside, Queens, Mike, welcome. You're on WABC. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. How are you, Mike? Hi, I'm fine, Bo. You know, I used to be a journalist for about 30 years till I went blind, and I was covering elections all around the world. And most of my friends from those other countries are calling me now and laughing. You know, they're like saying, well, what's happening to you guys? You know, what, what happened? You used to be the used to be the guide for everything. But basically what I wanted to call in about is, is what I think is happening is, uh, is you're seeing a lot of divide and rule, basically, from the uh, you know Democratic Party, just basically coming out, sowing intrigue, making people fight. They control the messaging and media. And that way, the Republicans are divided, whether it's Trump, whether it's whoever. They know what, you know, what chain to pull to get somebody mad. And they're using that as a technique to divide attention. And then you have situations like Arizona and Nevada and all these other places where instead of sending lawyers and being united and, and, and working towards getting, you know, things done properly, it's not happening. You can even look right here in our city. 
you know, right here where Tom Sullivan's campaign is out in, uh, you know, Assembly District 23. He hasn't seen a lawyer from the Republican Party come out to get him proclaimed. He's already won his race, basically. And, and there's nobody out there helping him from the Republican Party. The people who sent somebody to help him were the conservative party, which is a tiny little you know, fraction of what the Republican Party has. And this is the type of situation you see. They distract, they divide, and they dominate. And unfortunately, unless we get over it, we're going to be more third world than the third world uh, in our elections. So. Good goodness. We're going to be more third world than the third world. Mike, what are you doing now? You said you used to be a journalist. Are you still a journalist? I still do a little podcast here and there just to keep, you know, keep the juices flowing. I tagged you in one of my podcasts about what was happening out in uh, Assembly District 23. It's a really interesting story about a veteran denied his victory on uh, Veterans Day. You know, this uh, Tom uh, Sullivan uh, was a colonel. He served uh, in Afghanistan, Iraq, and uh, also out in uh, Kuwait. And, uh, you know, constantly serving in our wars for 29 years all over the world, he wins an election and, you know, he's only got 246 vote lead. So, you know, the, the thing's on hold. They're not proclaiming him as the winner. Every other race for the assembly in the state of New York has been proclaimed, but he has not gotten that proclamation certificate yet. That's really sad when you think about it. Wow. So informative. You're an excellent journalist. Mike, thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Sally, that's the time we have our number duo in the can. We move on to our number trio. And our number trio, Princess Di, will join us. We're also going to have a story about FTX. If you don't know what that is, you should. Well, maybe you should. But it was a big story. I'm telling you, this story was as huge as Election Day for the people that care about the new economy that is still emerging, and your phone calls. If you're on hold, stay on hold. As you see, we are taking lots of calls today, and we will continue to take lots of calls today. 800-848-WABC is the number to call. Remember, one full hour to go. Go. Don't go away. Nerdly on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC. Larry Kudlow comes up next after we're done. But you and I have this full hour to be together, and I'm glad you're here. 800 848 WABC is the number to call. 800 848-922. Coming up this hour, Princess Di. Coming up this hour, we have Scott that's going to talk to us about what's going on in the world of crypto. He has a personal stake in it, or I had one. And because um, it was a big story. That FTX thing is huge. Um, and let's see what else. We have Winsome Sears. Now, yesterday was Veterans Day. We have a new, as you'll hear toward the end of the interview, we're going to do a new tradition and have Winsome on every year. She's veteran, former Marine. So we talked about uh, veterans first and that, and then we moved on. She had a lot to say about Donald Trump, and she has really ticked some people off. If you didn't hear it, uh, the reason I'm playing it is because I want to give all points of view here. You Look, y'all know what I think about Donald Trump. So, I mean, I love the guy. And I love Ron DeSantis, too. And I'm not gonna. I'm not going to uh, like 
I'm not doing this whole dump Trump thing. I'm not, I'm not going there. Not me. But I want you to hear what Winsome has to say. She has a very different point of view. So let's join that from yesterday on Veterans Day, Lieutenant Governor of the State of Virginia, Winsome Sears. Ladies and gentlemen, we are so pleased to have on this Veterans Day, as we had last Veterans Day, the Lieutenant Governor of Virginia, Winsome Earl Sears. Lieutenant Governor, welcome. How are you? Hello, hello. I am doing well. It's been a day, um, or maybe it's been a two days, and but thank you for having me. And by the way, a special, a special day to our veterans, and as I always say, our special veterans who did not come home and who we can't thank for their service, but we thank their families for giving them to us. Absolutely. Now, you are a member of a once a Marine, always a Marine, of the Marines. You have talked extensively about what Marine, what the Marine Corps did for you. And just for a few moments, I'd like, since it is, it is Veterans Day, if you can just please tell us your thoughts on what the Marines meant to your life and what they did for you. And I want to ask you about the article today that's appearing in the AP afterwards that's got so many mm-hmm. people upset about time to move on. But let's talk about your role as a Marine first. Well, the Marine Corps really saved my life when I felt I didn't have anything to live for when I was 18 years old. And I was all set to go to college, got the books, got my curriculum all set. And then my grandmother, who was such a force in my life, died. And I went back to Jamaica for her funeral. And just looking at her in the casket, I thought, what is the purpose of life if you're just going to die? And I happened to see a, a jet magazine um, with a, uh, the Marines in, in, the, in, in the book on her coffee table. And I thought, they will give me a reason to live. The Marines will give me the discipline I need. And indeed, that's what they did for me. And, you know, the Marines, uh, and I dare say the military, creates leaders, you know, for what, what they, they – and, and they don't just speak it. They, they show it. They, they make the example of it. Uh, I remember an IG inspection, Inspector General's inspection, where, you know, you'd never want to fail those, and it's really battalion-wide. And our warrant officer, we were working hard hours, 4 or 4 in the morning, come back again, work all the way till 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, have to do it all over again. And we've been doing this for three days about three or four days, and we, we had another stretch ahead of us, another 10 days, and we just couldn't do it. We were in formation, and he gave us the rah-rah talk, and, you know, we got to do this, we got to do this. And then finally, when he dismissed us and we went back to work, he, took, he did a curious thing. He took his uniforms off, put on his utilities, and he was out there in his boots and everything with us, moving equipment, fixing equipment. He got more out of us that night than he had the previous three or four nights. <laughs> And so I understood that leadership isn't something you say. It's something you do. And by the way, the military does not create yes men and yes women. You know, we we have a mission, and everybody has to look forward to that mission. The mission is greater than any one person. And the mission is always, no matter what it is, to preserve, support, protect, and defend America. She is the prize. That leads us right into this article. You said, and and this, by the way, uh, President Trump also had a few words to say about the, your governor. Our, and, um, you know, we talked about those words. It was an interesting line of 
I suppose his name sounds Chinese. Don't quite get that one, but okay. Yeah. You say we have a clear mission right now, and that's one of the things that you told the Associated Press. It's time to move on. And why do you yeah. why 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 do you think that? Well, you know, um, I was the national chair of Black Americans to reelect the president. Uh, we we believed in not his personality as much as. What he what he was wanting to do, his policies, and and you know I voted for him the very first time. I'm a New Yorker. I understand the brashness. AOC is brash. You know she just does it in a more sweeter way, but you don't come at her and don't think she's going to come back at you. That's what New Yorkers do. I understood it. I, I was raised in New York, but then this, but then uh, you know uh, we saw that, for example, he boosted our economy. Um, he, he, he lowered the tax rates so that the corporations could bring their profits back from overseas. And our economy went through the roof. The stock market went through the roof. Uh, 400% increase in black entrepreneurship never before seen. Uh, black unemployment at levels uh, the lowest in we've, – we've never seen those. In historic. Because, historic. I mean, the prison reform alone piece helped the black community so much, no matter what you think about that. And, you know, I, I did prison ministry for two years, loved it, felt like I could really put some hope into folks' lives. And, and, um, and then when it came to the economy, we were a net energy producer so much so that we were even selling our energy to our allies and i could go on you know making our communities safe not defunding the police and all that so who wouldn't want to continue those policies and we just hope please don't tweet anymore please don't say anything just stay quiet but alas and alack and listen his family was treated horribly his wife melania so exquisite woman should have been on every magazine the cover of vogue and not a one of them not a one of them wanted her and then they went to Baron, his son, and started on him. You know, but what we have to do is rise above it. We have to rise above it. And 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 he couldn't do that. And I was hoping that sometimes, you know, you learn more in a loss than you do in the victory because it gives you some time to do some introspection. It gives you some time to take a step back. I lost an election um, 18 years ago. And, you know, it's, it wasn't winnable in the first place, but I ran because it was the right thing to do. I had a call. But but I learned a lot about that. I learned a lot. And, and I was hoping that he would as well. And he could, but, but he didn't. And just to humble, just, just to stay humble, be humble, help the candidates. He raised $100 million dollars. And he gave, what, $16 million to his candidates? You know what the Democrats did? The Democrats helped to choose our candidates. The Democrats helped to choose our candidates. And which ones did they fund? The Democrats funded the Trump candidates. And they knew something that we didn't. We were willing to swallow and let it go because ultimately we felt that, you know, maybe they'd be better than the real Democrat candidates. but. In the end, the Democrats had a poll, and their polls were better than ours, and their polls were concerned about democracy. Our polls were focusing on the economy. And my God, isn't the economy always stupid? Isn't it? That's what it always is. It's the economy, Mm. stupid. 
But for some reason, I guess the voters said, well, we can fix the economy at some point, but the democracy issue is a problem. And they voted for democracy, which wasn't on anybody's ballot. So what can I say except now, sir, we loved what you did. We don't hate you. We're just saying it's not working. And, And we've got to be about the mission. And the mission and the prize is always America. We've got to have her remain America because there is no other place to escape to. She must remain that city on a shining hill. And this is bigger than one person. Winston Sills. That's the time we have. We hope to have you back. You are an amazing, amazing human being. We thank you for joining us. And we hope to make this a tradition to hear from you every Veterans Day, if we can. Thank you so much for joining us. We'd love it, too. God bless you. you. God bless you, too. That was Winston Sears, Lieutenant Governor of the state of... There are a lot of people that are going to disagree with it. I don't buy this business that uh, democracy was really on the ballot. I think this whole thing that the... Look, this is the Washington Post started this crap. Democracy dies in darkness. little racist messaging there from the Washington Post. But this is the whole thing after Jan 6. They had to try to, I don't think people were moved by Jan 6. I think that this thing is a colossal failure in other ways. But I'm going to ask uh, Di about that, Princess Di, when she comes up, and Princess Di will be with us soon. Your phone calls will also be a major part. I do want to touch on this FTX story before we get out of here today. So stick around. We've got a lot to go. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley here. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza, and we're coming back right after this. It's time for Radio Royalty with James Golden and America's Princess of Policy, Princess Di. You should see her throne. Have you ever seen that thing with the uh, Game of uh, Game of Thrones or whatever that is? <clears throat> All those swords on the thrones? That'll give you a hint of what Princess Di's throne looks like in her throne room. She is, yeah, America's princess of policy, the one, the only, coronated as the first lady of American politics, Diana Mee, our very own princess, Di. Your Majesty, you heard Lieutenant Governor Winston Sears. Now, I don't, I'm, I'm not buying, and you know I love Winston, but I'm not buying this business of democracy won the day in messaging. But I don't think people give a, I keep wanting to say that word today. I really don't think they give a S about this whole Jan 6 thing. I don't think that's what drove anybody to the polls. I think this whole thing with democracy was just a poll-tested line that Democrats used, but I don't think it was effective beyond their base. And I don't think, like the Washington Post, that democracy dies with Negro, with um dark, in darkness. What? I didn't say it. That's what they mean. That's what they mean. Democracy dies with them. I never bought it. They make me sick anyway. I'm sorry. Well, let me just, before I answer your question, let me just mention one thing. Democracy does die in darkness. If you saw what happened in Nevada, where the cameras went dark, <laughs> suddenly at 11 o'clock while they were counting, for, for overnight. That the democracy in that state did die in darkness. 
But back to your question, I, too, love Winsome Sears. I do not agree with her. I think this is going to be part of the argument of the primaries, as it should be going forward. And we have to basically make a good fight. And we are going to be in the good fight as to who is best carrying our message. And you know where I stand. I don't agree with her. I think that one of the things that I don't want to do is join the chorus of Trump's faults, which we know he has faults. And the other side has done nothing but point it out. They ran on Trump in the Democrat Party, and they ran on abortion in the Democrat Party. The GOP had no answer. They ran against Trump. We defended him not. They ran on abortion. We had no message deliberately by the leadership, as I call them, the McFailed McLeadership of the Republican Party. We had no answer. So if if you're going to look at the, the political landscape accurately, you've got to have a message. And we have to have that fight this right now, starting today to carry out, see who's going to be best to carry out. But as I said, I'm not going to join the chorus of Trump's faults. In fact, I think you need to play for your audience at some point a video, which I think you've seen, called Trump's Virtues. It's by Tom Klingenstein. It's a speech he gave, which is the absolute unstated by anyone in our party officially or our intellectual class, our wizards of smarts, all of the things that Winsome Seals, uh, Sears catalog of all the good things that Trump did. Well, there was a reason he got all that done. And a lot of it was his virtues, his courage, his, you know, unflinchingness in in, uh, criticism from all sides in the political class. He had a special group of skills and talents and gifts, and that enabled what happened under his presidency of all those things that she mentioned. You can't have one without the other. And our side needed to focus on the virtues and not the flaws because the other side does that. Why should we do it? This is same team to me. Now, one of the things that I think, um, and you, you may have heard, Diana, in the first hours I talked about this. Look, I'm tired. I'm Diana, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of these freaking mail-in ballots. I'm tired of this ballot harvesting nonsense. Everything that we're dealing with now has taken away from the integrity of elections in the United States. And we all, everyone that pays attention to politics, and I continue, even Democrats know it. In fact, I remember when this stuff was first bubbling up there. Unless I'm wrong, even Jimmy Carter and some of the other diehard Democrats say, hey, don't do this. This is not a good thing. This ballot harvesting, these two-month elections, this, 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 this continued, let's send everything through mail. And again, how easy is it for somebody to sit at home and stamp an envelope and say, ooh, it's postmarked by a certain date? I mean, there's no, I, I don't have any confidence in that. But I don't hear any, any political objection from the Republican Party as a whole or from, as you call them, the McFailed McLeadership of this party 
that's actually addressing the things that are concerning Republican voters especially is that we don't trust this system anymore, and we have no reason to trust this system. This always follows the same script. It follows how many times this is like Charlie Brown the football. Oh, yeah, well, we can't count the votes. Oh, we'll get to the votes. We'll have some answers for you after Thanksgiving. And the answers are always the same. Republican lead is dwindling. Republican lead is dwindling. Oh, the Republicans don't seem to be doing well in mail-in. Oh, Republicans lost again. How many times do we have to see this thing? Well, one of the elements of this formula that you have aptly described um, relates to another story that you mentioned on the fall of FTX, which I'm sure you'll get into later. Uh, the head of FTX, which is a crypto exchange, Sam Bankman-Fried, he was worth $15.6 billion on Monday. He was worth nothing by yesterday. Meanwhile, he gave $38 million to the Democrats in this past cycle. He was second largest contributor under Soros. Soros was number one at $127 million. Now, of course, this was a Ponzi scheme that collapsed. He gave $2 billion, supposedly, to his girlfriend's company. And, you know, he, according to Twitter, they were tracking a flight that they think was him to Argentina last night. So we'll see if he's ever prosecuted. But because he, he gave to the Democrats, he'll be fine. He filed for bankruptcy. He'll be fine because he's he's a protected person. But that money... That sluice of money that goes from very wealthy people to the Democrat Party, they have, as I have said before, their main industry is ballot trafficking, and they have been doing it for generations. There's money that goes to these communities that basically manufactures ballots. And so uh, Sundance of uh, the conservative treehouse had a really important article this week that the Democrats focus on ballots. We focus on votes. It's votes versus ballots. It's not necessarily. That's why you see them during the campaign, not debating, hiding out in the basement, because that is not their focus. We focus on persuasion, getting people to agree with us and then to vote for us. That's the old traditional way. And meanwhile, this new method that they have, as your caller referred to, Rush mentioned, that they really will be happy once they can completely get rid of elections, and they're well on their way to doing it. So they have this See, wait, 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 stop right there, trafficking, <clears throat> and, and, and also the NGOs, the charities, and they have the walking around money in these communities. This, to me, is a system that we have to compete with. We, we don't want to be evil, but we have to basically getting in there and doing the GOTV, get out the vote and get out the ballot. Okay, when okay, you say ahead, things like, okay, okay, like el- eliminate elections. People hear that and they say, what are you talking about, eliminate? How is Rex talking about eliminate? How are you going to eliminate elections? Can you explain to people, what do you mean when you say they want to eliminate elections? Well, I, you know, when Rush first said that, I mean, I usually 99% of the time agree wholeheartedly with Rush. 
That was one thing he said that I thought was over the top. Oh, come on. They're ne- this is America. They're never going to get rid of elections. But as I have seen what their behavior is, there's always going to be elections as there are in communist countries everywhere and dictatorships everywhere where the dictator or the communist gets, you know, 95 percent of the vote. Like Saddam Hussein, I think, got 99 percent of the vote. But these are not actual democratic elections. They're not, you know, what we grew up with, where you put in your ballot and it's counted one person, one vote. That's not what they think is fair. They don't want to campaign. They shouldn't. They they look down on American people, as does the Republican Party, by the way. I have to say, your frustration, I think, is a little misplaced because you're like, what? Why are they just so inept? They're not inept. They're part of the same system that, you know, we used to always say it's the evil parties, the Democrats versus the stupid parties, the Republicans. Yeah. No, it, it, it is not true. They are not stupid. They, the reason this system has not changed is because they benefit from it. Mitch McConnell is happier being in the minority. A lot of these people are perfectly fine with being in the minority. And so that's why they see no need to put money into tight races, to fight for a message, because they are going to benefit probably better by the donor class if they remain in the minority. So that is job one for us is to clean house in the Republican Party. The infrastructure, the apparatus of the Republican Party is what determines election outcomes for our side. And that is as corrupt as the day is long. And so that has to be our focus. We have to really have a clean sweep. And I don't think the Republican Party understands how they still need our votes. They still need GOP voters. And they don't have any idea how mad we are at them and how we're not. And this was it. This is the last straw. We are no way going to put up with this anymore. These people have to go from top to bottom, from stem to stern. And that has to be new blood in the Republican Party. We cannot go forward until we do that. Diana, you have never heard me. And I think I mentioned this earlier. You've never heard me badmouth Mitch McConnell on this show. Or in fact, well, you should. You've never heard me badmouth Mitch McConnell, period, even in the height of all of it. I always reminded people, if it wasn't for old Mitch, we wouldn't have right. the Supreme Court. I'm going to say something today. Get out, Mitch. Get out. <laughs> Get out. I am so sick of this. Every freaking time, I'm sick of it. I, I will always be grateful to Mitch McConnell for the Supreme Court win. Thanks, Mitch. Now go away. And and Kevin McCarthy, I don't even want forget it. I don't want him as House Speaker. Forget it. And I know the inner politics of the House and all that stuff to a degree. And I know the chances are that a lot of these guys and gals that warm up in there, they're just cozying up to to, to McCarthy because they think he's the presumed Speaker. I'm going to be disappointed if somebody like Jim Jordan doesn't end up as House Speaker this time. As long as we have Kevin McCarthy coming up in there, as long as we have Mitch McConnell, Diana just said it, I couldn't agree more. We need a change at the top. It's time to get rid of the remnants of the John Boehner crew, all of them. We've had it. Paul Ryan, I don't care. Sit up in your mouth and, 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 and destroy Fox like you did the Republican Party. 
John Boehner's legacy lives on with these people. And be, and before John Boehner, it was what's his face? I even forget this one's name. You know I'm talking about the big guy. Uh, what's Hastert. his name? Denny Hastert. Denny Hastert. These are all from the same ilk. They all come from the same ilk. And they have done no good as leaders, and they have destroyed the Republican Party. And if they keep this up, there will be so many Republicans that abandon this and say, what is the use of this? And they just stop. They had, they hated the Tea Party. They got rid of the best chance to win with the Tea Party because they hated them. They saw them as competition instead of seeing how they could form a winning coalition. They did nothing at all during the years when Obama was there to really put up a defense for the Republican Party. In fact, they slow-walked everything. Did we ever get any resolve on the Benghazi or any other hearings they did? No. We had a show, and we had nothing to show for it, Okay. And that By meant design. Trey Gowdy, Trey Gowdy, and the rest of them. Trey Gowdy did all this mouth and mouth and delivered nothing. Lindsey Graham, all these, we're going to get to the bottom of this. We never got to the bottom of nothing. Okay, I am sick of this crap. It's time for Mitch McConnell to go. It is time for Kevin McCarthy to go. We need new leadership. You said from and don't st- forget Ronna McDaniel because she's part of that McLeadership team, and that is what I'm I'm adding to it. The RNC is one of the worst offenders of the the uh, apparatus of the Republican Party being completely in the tank for whatever the left wants. They talk a good game, all of them, at election time, or they don't talk at all. But as far as actual boots on the ground, 100 percent never. And I remember Rush always saying, you know, I don't even want to talk about people would ask, where are the Republicans? And he would have a phrase. He says, don't ask me, why don't the Republicans do X? Because they never have. And so it was left to basically Rush to basically have the message, make the point, have the worldview of and remind us of who we are as Americans that kept our voter base together. And I think that Trump capitalized on that. And this is who we are there. The thing is, I read today an interesting quote. Liz Cheney said the midterms were a clear victory for team normal. And David Brooks said the fever of populism is breaking in the New York Times. They think that we're back to normal. We got rid of these ifty people, the smelly Walmart people, the Americans who have dirt under their fingernails, the working class, the blue collar. We got rid of all them because this is a big club and we ain't in it. They are so wrong. And there are way many of us, more of us than there are of them. So that is how they are on their laurels right now, feeling smug. Okay, we won this one. Oh, no, they didn't. This is not over. It is just beginning. And why is that? Because we trust in the living God. In God we trust, which is our national motto, and we have to keep it alive. And I'm just going to say one other thing. You, you, you just triggered me. The reason that we did not win in the numbers that we, yeah, abortion may have played a role, yeah, all the stuff. The person that actually delivered the message, the messaging, for 30 years for the Republican base wasn't here this election cycle. Exactly. The one person that unified all of us and presented the messaging wasn't here. He's in heaven. And that's one of the reasons we lost this time out.
Amen. Gotta go. We Thank have you, to Princess. carry. We have to carry his legacy forward. Amen to that. Princess Di, thank you so much. We'll be back, ladies and gentlemen. Saturday morning radio extravaganza continues right after this. Oh, knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Bob James brings us back on WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. This is from Bob James 1, all those years ago. That's the time I feel like making love. Of course, the song made famous by Roberta Flack and Donny Hathaway. Later on tonight, Music Radio, 77 WABC with Cousin Brucie. And we have Adina Martin this weekend. Joe Piscopo with the Frank Sinatra Show. That is sponsored by Ramsey Mazda. Hope you're enjoying your morning coffee. You know what? We are um, trying to arrange... The next feature, and it'll be here one day on our Saturday morning extravaganza. One small caffeinated, one small caffeinated American mom is a regular. Can't wait for that. Anyway, uh, Scott. Yeah. You uh, put some. How much money did you lose, pal? And FTA? I didn't lose. I didn't lose any. Um, I got lucky because they had. Well, we can talk about this after the story, but this is. Uh, I mean, it's a fascinating, at least to me. I mean, I know you're more into crypto, but this is a really fascinating story. And it was a roller coaster ride, a very quick roller coaster ride of ups and downs this week. But it was uh, there. There was a fascinating the way that this unfolded. So FTX filed for bankruptcy. Sam Bankman-Fried, which was their head, steps down as CEO. And uh, crypto platform says it would begin to process, review, and monetize assets for stakeholders. So. It started out like everything was going to be okay. Earlier in the week, FTX had agreed to be taken over by rival exchange Binance, which walked away from the deal following a review of the company's finances. The crypto exchange is facing a shortfall of up to $8 billion, the Wall Street Journal reported. So you started off the week thinking everything's going to be fine. They're going to be bought by... Binance, yeah. So then Thursday morning, Mr. Bankman-Fried said the troubles at FTX were confined to its international operations. So everything's still cool if you're in the United States. He tweeted that FTX U.S. was not financially impacted and that every user could fully withdraw. Later that day, FTX U.S. said it might stop trading. On Friday, (laughs) FTX U.S. filed for bankruptcy along with the rest of FTX. Then, (laughs) yesterday, on a Saturday, they're still continuing to screw people over. 
At least $1 billion of customer funds have vanished from collapsed crypto exchange FTX, according to two people familiar with the matter. The exchange's founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, again, secretly transferred $10 billion of customer funds from FTX to Bankman-Fried's trading company, Alameda Research, that people told Reuters. A large portion of that total has since disappeared, they said. One source put the missing amount at about $1.7 billion. The other said the gap was between $1 billion and $2 billion. Just vanished. From an, now, my understanding is this is an exchange, right? This is not. Right. So, right. Uh, what, they giving out loans? How do you just lose, just because of the value of, well, the, of the trading, how do you lose all that money? All right, I want to refer you to the podcast, The Future Is Now, with James Eisenberg, because James Eisenberg runs a fund for wealthy, actually, investors in the space of crypto and blockchain. And he has an explanation that is just amazing as to how all this was unfolding. And I can't repeat it verbatim. Well, after what Diana said, I was, <laughs> he's on a flight to Argentina. And it, it's yeah. just completely... But you know what? This is, a lot of this stuff was unfolding on election day. Now it was strange because I had someone here that was uh, a crypto guy, and so we were all jumping around looking for results here, results there, following the news on election day report. Meanwhile, there was this entirely other world going on with this impending implosion at FTX, and a lot of people think that this is going to make the crypto market. I'll just forget it. It's full of look. They call this the Lehman of of uh, of crypto. This is a Lehman position. It doesn't mean that crypto is wiped out. It doesn't mean that it means this exchange was wiped out. And <laughs> it, this is another but one. But that was like the this main, is, wasn't that the biggest? It was one of the biggest, but Luna was big too. But there is still so much opportunity. And, and, and again, the few, I want to just refer you to the podcast. The future is now. I want you to hear an expert on this for both of us. Uh, James, in fact, you know what we'll do? Let's do Scott this week. Let's bring um, James Eisenberg on the program, and you and I can both ask questions and get and and he can also explain this to everybody. So this coming week, we'll ask James Eisenberg to come on for a few minutes, and then we can catch up on the real story with FTX. Cool. No, I didn't. I was. I had fifty dollars in there, sitting there, and. The currency that I was using changed its block. This was like two months ago. Changed its blockchain, which I don't exactly know what that means. But they changed it, so FTX had to update their algorithms. Well, it took them two weeks to up, uh, to update the algorithm for that cryptocurrency. Meanwhile, nobody that had it could use it. You couldn't access it. You couldn't withdraw it. You couldn't. So I'm like, well, if they ever do this, I'm getting all my money out of there. So... So finally, they're like, hey, we got the blockchain, right? So I immediately took all my money out of there, my $50. And uh, <laughs> so I did not go down with the ship, but not not knowing it, you know, that this was all just going to completely blow. Oh, man, and does it blow. Thanks, Scott, so much. And we will get James Eisenberg this week, and he can come on the, uh, the afternoon program with us. Okay, let us head back to the telephones. And Dom in Minnesota, thank you for waiting, Dom. How are you today? Yeah, hi, James. I'm great, sir. Nice to talk to you again. Vincent Sears sounds like an awesome person and a great leader. She said, you learn more from a loss than from a victory. That has been my mantra for the better part of my life, and I'm enjoying the benefits of it. That attitude right there is presidential material. But I don't agree with her analysis on Trump. 
I think democracy was on the ballot, but because of stock market queen B. Nancy, Sleepy Joe bite me, and I might add Turtleneck Mitch and Chuck U. Schumer. These are the people destroying democracy, not the Republicans. So I want to address really quick what that Winsome Sears was not happy with Trump. This might sound a little unusual and maybe even a little bizarre. There seems to be a parallel between political extremism and, I might add, terrorism. First of all, as, as, as uh, uh, Rush would say, politics is showbiz for the ugly. But ha, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> is that right? That's where ugly people are coming up to do these damage. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I just was reminded of that when you were talking to Winston Sears about it. Well, Winston Sears is a beautiful lady, by the way. Yes, yes, this is she's awesome. She she's going to go far, and I'm I'm rooting for her because she's so she's her clarity is fantastic. I I don't agree with everything she does, but I think she should be a great leader at some point in this. In yeah, this, and I don't in agree with uh, with her necessarily with her assessment on everything, but I just love the woman. So there you go. And we don't have to, you know. I had a I'm I'm glad you said that. I had an exchange with one of my friends on Twitter. Um, his name is Joe Uli. Now Joe and I have known each other for decades. And we disagree on Trump, but it's like a, one of the things that we, 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 and I haven't talked to him. This was all on Twitter stuff. I said, look, we can disagree all we want to, but nothing is going to destroy our friendship. Not this, because we're not, we, and, and he says the same thing. We, look, folks, I mean, this is the way we used to do things. You can have a disagreement with somebody that you love, and of course, you still love them. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Everything doesn't have to be like slit the throat, the relationship's over because we don't agree with people. You know what I mean? So anyway, Dom, you're always, it's always great to hear from you. I'm pushing up against the clock. Got to take a break now so we can get some other callers in here. Uh, your calls will dominate for the rest of the show here. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza on WABC Talk Radio 77. Your call's coming up when we come back. Oh, knows politics. And so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. James brings us back on WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. This is from Bob James 1 all those years ago. That's the time I feel like making love. Of course, the song made famous by Roberta Flack and Donny Hathaway. Later on tonight, Music Radio, 77 WABC with Cousin Brucey. And we have Adina Martin this weekend. Joe Piscopo with the Frank Sinatra Show. That is sponsored by Ramsey Mazda. Hope you're enjoying your morning coffee. You know what? We are um, trying to arrange... The next feature, and it'll be here one day on our Saturday morning extravaganza. One small caffeinated 
one small caffeinated American mom. It's irregular. Can't wait for that. Anyway, uh, Scott. Yeah. You uh, put so much. How much money did you lose, pal? And FTA? I didn't lose. I didn't lose any. Um, I got lucky because they had. Well, we can talk about this after the story. But this is. Uh, I mean, it's a fascinating. At least to me. I mean, I know you're more into crypto, but this is a really fascinating story. And it was a roller coaster ride, a very quick roller coaster ride of ups and downs this week. But it was uh, there. There was a fascinating the way that this unfolded. So FTX filed for bankruptcy. Sam Bankman-Fried, which was their head, steps down as CEO. And uh, crypto platform says it would begin to process, review, and monetize assets for stakeholders. So it started out like everything was going to be okay. Earlier in the week, FTX had agreed to be taken over by rival exchange Binance, which walked away from the deal following a review of the company's finances. The crypto exchange is facing a shortfall of up to $8 billion, the Wall Street Journal reported. So you started off the week thinking everything's going to be fine. They're going to be bought by, by Binance. Binance. Yeah. Right. So then Thursday morning, Mr. Bankman-Fried said the troubles at FTX were confined to its international operations. So everything's still cool if you're in the United States. He tweeted that FTX US was not financially impacted and that every user could fully withdraw. Later that day, FTX US said it might stop trading. On Friday, <laughs> FTX US filed for bankruptcy along with the rest of FTX. Then, yesterday, on a Saturday, they're still continuing to screw people over. At least $1 billion of customer funds have vanished from collapsed crypto exchange FTX, according to two people familiar with the matter. The exchange's founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, again, secretly transferred $10 billion of customer funds from FTX to Bankman-Fried's trading company, Alameda Research, that people told Reuters. A large portion of that total has since disappeared, they said. One source put the missing amount at about $1.7 billion. The other said the gap was between $1 billion and $2 billion. Just vanished. From an, now, my understanding is this is an exchange, right? This is not... Right. So, right. Uh, were they giving out loans? How do you just lose, just because of the value of, well, the, of the trading, how do you lose all that money? All right, I want to refer you to the podcast, The Future Is Now, with James Eisenberg, because James Eisenberg runs a fund for wealthy, actually, investors in the space of crypto and blockchain. And he has an explanation that is just amazing as to how all this was unfolding. And I can't repeat it verbatim. Well, after what Diana said, I was, <laughs> he's on a flight to Argentina, and it, it's yeah. just completely... But you know what? This is, a lot of this stuff was unfolding on election day. Now it was strange because I had someone here that was uh, a crypto guy, and so we were all jumping around looking for results here, results there, following the news on election day report. Meanwhile, there was this entirely other world going on with this impending implosion at FTX, and a lot of people think that this is going to make the crypto market. I'll oh, just forget it. It's full of look. They call this the Lehman of of uh, of crypto. This is a Lehman position. It doesn't mean that crypto is wiped out. It doesn't mean that. It means this exchange was wiped out. And <laughs> it, this is another but one. But that was like the this main, is, wasn't that the biggest? It was one of the biggest. But Luna was big, too. But there is still so much opportunity. In, and, and, again, the few, I want to just refer you to the podcast. The future is now. I want you to hear an expert on this for both of us. Uh, James, in fact, you know what we'll do? 
Let's do Scott this week. Let's bring um, James Eisenberg on the program, and you and I can both ask questions and get and and he can also explain this to everybody. So this coming week, we'll ask James Eisenberg to come on for a few minutes, and then we can catch up on the real story with FTX. Cool. No, I did. I was. I had fifty dollars in there, sitting there, and the currency that I was using changed its. This was like two months ago changed its blockchain, which I don't exactly know what that means, but they changed it, so FTX had to update their algorithms. Well, it took them two weeks to up, uh, to update the algorithm for that cryptocurrency. Meanwhile, nobody that had it could use it. You couldn't access it. You couldn't withdraw it. You couldn't. So I'm like, well, if they ever do this, I'm getting all my money out of there. So finally, they're like, hey, we got the blockchain, right? So I immediately took all my money out of there, my $50, and uh, so I did not go down with the ship, but not not knowing it, you know, that this was all just going to completely blow. Oh, man, and does it blow. Thanks, Scott, so much. And we will get James Eisenberg this week, and so he can come on the uh, the afternoon program with us. Okay, let us head back to the telephones. And Dom in Minnesota, thank you for waiting, Dom. How are you today? Yeah, hi, James. I'm great, sir. Nice to talk to you again. Vincent Sears sounds like an awesome person and a great leader. She said, you learn more from a loss than from a victory. That has been my mantra for the better part of my life, and I, I'm enjoying the benefits of it. That attitude right there is presidential material. But I don't agree with her analysis on Trump. I think democracy was on the ballot, but because of stock market queen bee Nancy, Sleepy Joe bite me, and I might add turtleneck Mitch and Chuck U. Schumer. These are the people destroying democracy, not the Republicans. So I want to address really quick what that Winston Sears was not happy with Trump. This might sound a little unusual and maybe even a little bizarre. There seems to be a parallel between political extremism and, I might add, terrorism. First of all, as, as, as uh, uh, Rush would say, politics is showbiz for the ugly. But <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> is that right? That's where ugly people are coming up to do these damage. <laughs> So I just I just was reminded of that when you were talking to Winston Sears about it. Well, Winston Sears is a beautiful lady, by the way. Yes, yes, this is she's awesome. She she's gonna go far, and I'm I'm rooting for her because she's so she's her clarity is fantastic. I I don't agree with everything she does, but I think she should be a great leader at some point in this. In yeah, this, and I don't agree with her, with her necessarily with her assessment on everything, but I just love the woman. So there you go. And we don't have to, you know. I had a. I'm, I'm glad you said that. I had an exchange with one of my friends on Twitter. Um, his name is Joe Yuli. Now, Joe and I have known each other for decades, and we disagree on Trump. But it's like a, one of the things that we, we we and I haven't talked to him. This was all on Twitter stuff. I said, look, we can disagree all we want to, but nothing is going to destroy our friendship. Not this, because we're not. We and, and he says the same thing. We look, folks. I mean, this is the way we used to do things. You can have a disagreement with somebody that you love, and, of course, you still love them. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Everything doesn't have to be, like, slit the throat, the relationship's over because we don't agree with people. You know what I mean? So, anyway, Dom, you're always, it's always great to hear from you. I'm pushing up against the clock. Got to take a break now so we can get some other callers in here. Uh, your calls will dominate for the rest of the show here. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza on WABC Talk Radio 77. Your call's coming up when we come back. Welcome to the golden age of radio. James Golden, a.k.a. Bose Nerdly, is on 77 WABC. 
All right, Joe picked this one out. Uh, Carl Screener, Joe, pick this bumper for today. So this is Tarzan Boy by Baltimore, 1985 one-hit wonder. Great song. I always love this song. I tell you, we have the best crew in radio, folks, right here on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza and on Bo Snurley's Rush Hour. song still makes me want to reach for the Listerine. Remember the Listerine commercials? With the... <laughs> and Diego, of course, you still working on your album, Diego? Yeah, actually, I uh, set a release date. When is it? It's Friday, less than a week from now. I've finished it pretty pretty quickly, and I was like, let's let's get it out. Okay, you have to, so next Saturday we have to play something from your new album. Okay, yeah. That'll make you move. Oh, can't you hear Derek now? You're playing the music too long. You've got the forever bumper music here. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Derek. I hate Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Let's head back to the telephones on WABC Talk Radio 77. Frank. In the Bronx, welcome and thank you for holding. How are you, Frank? Uh, it, would this would this be Frank in Boston? I'm I'm it Boston. Must be in Boston. Yeah, thank yeah. you. From, you from Boston? Yeah, I am. <laughs> Allow me for only time to say one thing slightly negative about your show. I okay. found that man you you had on for thirty five or forty minutes excruciatingly dull, and when you That'll match him with all the guests you have, yeah. Yeah. That'll anyway, be Derek. Anyway, yeah. Well, he, yeah. Uh, let me get on to my point. Thank you for, okay. for taking mm-hmm. uh Rhonda McDaniel, as Diana mentioned, I listened to her and got madder and madder at her uh, as things kept deteriorating. She kept saying, "Oh, they're wonderful." At the end, when we were down to maybe losing both houses, she said, "Oh." We won the Super Bowl. You gotta get rid of that woman. It, it, as Diana what woman said, are you talking about? Are you the, talking about oh, Ronald McDaniel? Yes. Yeah. The, okay. the, uh, the And my question is, how do we make any impact upon the, the national uh, Republican Party or state Republican parties? Massachusetts is, isn't any better. How can the average citizen make 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 changes in this. If you give money, they just take it and spend it on their friends. This is a good question. And I'm, you know what? Stump the host. There are ways, and but I'm going to have to, I want to give you a really good answer, so I don't want to just get this off the top of my head. I want to have some time to think about that and toss that one around and also discuss it with a few other people, Frank. Man, Frank, you really, that's a really profound question. How can the average guy really have an impact? So I'm I'm not going to forget the question. 
But I'm going to think about it, and I'm going to ask some other people, too. Let's all contribute with that one, folks. Good question. Thank you, Frank. Appreciate the call. Ina in Manhattan. How are, and by the way, we love Derek Hunter here. Now, we kid with Derek a lot and everything. He's not excruciating to listen to. Derek has a syndicated national show. And as I said, he's one of the very few people that you can um, put in that lineup of colleagues that actually was considered to be great enough of a radio host to sit in for the mighty Rush Limbaugh. So we're pleased to have Derek here every week. I joke around with him a lot, but Derek is brilliant. Brilliant, folks. Ina, Manhattan, how are you? Can't hear you, Ina. Ina, can't hear you. We'll put you on hold and see whether we can get back with you. Felix in Ridgewood, how are you, Felix? Yes, sir. How you doing, sir? Good, good, good. What's on your mind this this morning, yeah, Felix? I spoke to you. I spoke to you before about uh, the three hundred thousand dollars that uh, that uh, Mayor Adams and Brad Lander, city controller, owe me for my claim. Uh, dated April 10, 1986. You advised me to get a lawyer. I did. All right? Listen, let me tell you something. That yeah. lawyer that I got falsified my signature and that retainer. And I'm still struggling with my case. Oh, my gosh. Well, he needs to be know. reported. Look, you got to report. Uh, anybody that falsifies your signature has to be reported to the bar. Felix, I really wish there was something I could do here, but this is, you're just going to have to plow through this, my friend. This is just terrible. I got a lawyer. The lawyer falsified my signature. Jeez Louise. Never ends. Let's go to Debbie in Westchester, New York. How are you, Debbie? I'm good, thanks. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to follow up. I'm enjoying your show immensely, and and I really enjoyed the callers that uh, you've had on today. I thought they've made some excellent points. Um, And I wanted to go back to something Diana mentioned, which I thought was um, so so spot on. She refers to conservative treehouse, but, you know, the the difference between counting the ballots and, and trying to get out the vote. And it feels frustrating that we really need to learn from that. It seems that you know, we're focused on the messaging, we're focused on the tactics, her point of persuading, you know, minds. And, you know, one of your callers earlier came up with some brilliant messaging to, you know, address abortion concerns and whatever. But, you know, we got to come back to what the election integrity issues are. And what's frustrating to me is, you know, Trump was focused on 2020 and saying we need to get this right. And a lot of people said, oh, you know, let's move on. And it's gotten to a point now where if you question anything, you're labeled an election denier. And it's these tactics are straight out of Orwell, straight out of communism. You know, the general mentioned last night on the roundtable, you know, how far we are in a war that's already happening. That's already happening in this country. He referred to Sun Tzu. He referred to the rise of communism in this country where some people don't see it at all. Some people are gradually wakening up and realizing that it's further than we thought. But all election denier, he made some serious allegations on that show last night, and nobody wanted to touch it. Nobody wants to talk about it. 
how much is fraud really happening? You know, Stalin once said something like, does it matter who votes? It's who counts the votes. Now machines count the vote. And as Diana said, you know, this has happened time and again where Republicans watch their lead slipping away. You know, I'm past the point where I can even really support the Republican Party anymore. You know, even if we had one, if Kevin McCarthy and, and Mitch McConnell were back in leadership, would anything really change? But the point is, how much do our votes count anymore? And I think we really need to wake up. And if we allow ourselves to be labeled election deniers, and that's like a kiss of death now. It's like being labeled a racist or a vaccine denier or a science denier or anything. And we, we cow under those labels, cow under those labels, and we back away from the issue and the message and the real change. You know, when communism came to some of these countries, whatever you want to call it, basically, when there were t- dictators or autocrats in power and elections were meaningless, we have the illusion that we have elections. At what point did people wake up and really say, well, you know, are we really voting? Does it matter? Was there a, a single moment in time so in the last election, there was a lot of apparent fraud, seeming fraud, and questions were raised about that fraud. And at the time, you know, they just plowed through and applied Let the labels. Debbie, you're making some extremely important and brilliant points here, and I also love the way that you link together the, the way that they use vaccine deniers. Of course, we've been hearing about the climate deniers for years. This is one of their favorite catchphrases now. And it's absolutely right. They do want to suppress talk about it. And, you know, you have to, let me just, you have to be careful if you're in certain positions about saying it. Because if you say it, let me give you a prime example. People made all kind of allegations about Dominion and the voting machines. And what is Dominion doing right now? They have these people in court. And unless you're able to back this up, unless you're able to back up those claims, you can have all the suspicions that you want, but unless you're able to back up those claims in a courtroom, there's going to be some very costly episodes for some people. And media companies that are being sued are especially conscious about it. So what do they do? They tell they tell their employees, you better not talk about this stuff. We don't need the lawsuits. There is a lot of suppression of thought go, of, of thoughts going around. The same thing with this vaccine stuff. Now, one of the things that I want to be really careful about before I make any allegations is making sure that the evidence is in place to to make those allegations. But I will tell you this. One of the things that you're pointing out is that people have lost confidence. We know that what we're getting in terms uh, from science, especially on this COVID thing, it's not science. It's political BS. We know that what we've gotten from talking about elections, we know the lights go out and all of a sudden the vote totals change. I mean, really? How many times are we supposed to fall for this one? So, Debbie, you raise amazingly great points. I'm sorry time is running out here. Once again, it always runs out too quickly. I need a five-hour show. Anyway, another Saturday. And with a very brilliant call, Debbie. Love you. Thank you. And all of you on hold. We'll be back on Monday for Boston Early's Rush Hour, 4 o'clock p.m. It is always a pleasure to be with you. May God bless and protect each and every single one of you and your families. And we will be back on Monday for Boston Early's Rush Hour. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you Monday. Bye.